Can you tell them that I'll be there too? They just called me, Nika. Thank you. Oh, also, um, I think y'all just called Nika Willis. She'll be there as well. We're the, we're in the same party. Thank you. Bye. Like, hey, we actually in the same place, bitches. Yes. We out here. We're Austin. Here. We in Austin. <laughs> What's up? Coming to you live and in living color from my apartment, bitch. Worldwide. <laughs> we here. <laughs> Welcome to Emotionally Unavailable, a wine-influenced, uncensored podcast where you're free to be you and I'm free to be me. Emotionally. Views are our own and do not reflect those of our employers. Things said on this podcast are subject to change based on new and relevant information. You know what that's called? Growth. Hit me with your eyes. I never seen Welcome to another episode of Emotionally Unavailable. We are just trying to find some joy this week. Yes. I'm look, I need it. Before we go any deeper into this episode, I'm just going to tell you, like, if you need to take this episode in chunks, we suggest that you do just because it's just been a very hard week. And some Mm -hmm. of the topics that we're going to discuss are going to be heavy, but just push through it. These are necessary discussions that we have to have. But also, y'all know us, so we do, you know, have a little sprinkle of of ratchet, a little sprinkle of joy in and out because, look, it's it's heavy, 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 like Effie from Dream Girls. Like, we don't. When your dream girls, boys, will make you happy. When your dream girls, boys, will always care. We are dream girls, dream, dream girls, and all you have to do is, all you have to do is dream, just dream, yeah. I'm done. We'll be there. That's all I got. I just wanted to end it. Toby <laughs> took it like, <laughs> I wasn't expecting her to take it all the way there. I really hope she keeps that shit in because let me tell y'all something. <laughs> At the beginning of every episode, there's always a clip of me being ratchet. He conveniently edits out her bullshit. And I have had it up to here. I got people DMing me like, yo, like you can't start an episode normal. Like you just be starting off some bullshit every, every fucking episode. Like you can't, like what is wrong with you? I'm like, first of all, why are you dragging me in my own DMs? Okay, don't make me report you for harassment. I'll keep it this time because I know that I'd be putting you through the ringer. And that's because I'm ut- utilizing my recording and editing privileges yeah, you see, she basically says she's ab- she's abusing. <laughs> she's abusing her rights and her privileges to recording and editing. Like, right. I want everyone to, like, <laughs> agree with me that that's essentially what she said. This is our podcast or whatever. We be talking and we be drinking and we be drinking and talking. <laughs> and we're finally in the same place. So we cutting up even more than usual. But let's jump in for our Just the Sip this week. Let's start out um, talking about how I'm finna move to Barbados because 
they are removing the queen of England from power. And I love it here. I love when black people find liberation. Mm -hmm. This story gave me so much joy. So like Tobe said, they're removing Queen Elizabeth as its head of state and they're becoming a republic. And so the queen is slowly but surely losing all of her black friends. And I think this is amazing. This is a step away from colonization. And I'm here for it. You know, like why, why they gotta own us? You know, all of these colonizers, <laughs> y'all going to slowly but surely see this happening. I think it's great <laughs> that they're able to um, take their power back in this way and become a republic. I think it's going to be a great thing for them. And I can't wait to be able to visit and give them my dollars, spend my good earned money in that way and contribute to their tourism, especially when things open up for real, for real. I'm excited for Barbados. Shout out to y'all. Yes. And in other news, Savage X Fenty is launching men's underwear. Okay. They're going to be expanding into this new market of menswear. And the underwear collection will be launched on October 2nd. And it's a collaboration with Christian Combs. And so the collection is going to include boxers, boxer briefs, um satin monogram pajama sets. Oh yeah. Other pieces. And they're working on color waves of like black and blue and red and pink. Quit playing with me. Here. I can't wait to find or- a little little ting. and you want to know what exactly and so like what what makes it even more um amazing is that the prices are going to range from like 12.92 to 69.95 so affordable that's number one and also the size is going to range from small to extra extra large so to a 3x like Yes, for my thick men's out there. For my thickums with all of them cheeks, wide hips. What what they Ew. call that dude from girlfriends? <laughs> Big hip Willie. <laughs> I can't remember what they call this man. But for the men who be double cheeked up on a Tuesday, Savage X Fenty got something for you too. I'm excited. Like some of the um steel shots that I saw of Christian Combs. It Ooh, was like yes. satin. I'm looking right look. now. Oh, little mm. ditty. Wait a minute. Mm. Oh, you mm. fool. My goodness. Mm-hmm. Okay. They like they even got like a little and then of course he got his Tim's on. He I does. Even, I see this Christian now. I, I hate like even uh, comments. Hopefully above the age of twenty one because like <laughs> He looked just like his daddy used to look back in the day. People he sleep do. on Diddy. Diddy used to be fine back Diddy in the day. Was I don't. Fine. I still Diddy think Diddy fine. is fine. But I mean, he me. yeah, he's fine now. But I just feel like because he's so old, I just be like, yeah. But <laughs> nah, like Diddy, Diddy was. I had a crush on Diddy back Christian in the day. Combs in this Fenty is making me feel a type of way, and I'm just ready to mm-hmm. redacted, redacted, redacted because. Okay. All the redacted. <laughs> Redact. Okay. Wow. And then he got a do-rag. I wonder if they're going to have Fenty satin do-rag. I would be here for that 100%. Let me find somebody's son to buy all this stuff for. 
Mm, we just gonna be savaged out. Can you just imagine it? You know I what I'm saying? Savage. I got on my savage me. and all my lace and all I'm my so satin. Ready. I'm you so ready. You got on all your satin and all your lace, mm. and it's just mm. rubbing against each other. You just know rubbing saying? against each other. <laughs> Yes, I'm here for it. Yes, Riri. You better give these men something to aspire to so they won't be out here wearing the same crusty ass boxer briefs. With the holes in it. They got bleach stains. <laughs> y'all got to do better. And Brianna is basically trying to give y'all the keys to success right here like imagine you know you go to your little situations house and they got everything set up they got their um you know candles their house is clean they actually have a couch they're not wow. sitting on a futon wow. I'm not talking from experience I'm speaking oh, okay. just based on the experience <laughs> of what I've heard my friends go through when it comes to these men folk like y'all be trying it so I think this is a great step I'm excited for, for the men. I'm excited, yeah, I'm excited for them. This I actually always... means, though, men, guys, listen up. This means yep. that you actually have to wipe your ass, you know, well. Yep. There will be no shit stains in the Fenty draws. Okay? Mm-hmm. Nope. That's all. Speaking of draws, off cheat. <laughs> Can't seem to keep his on. Exactly. And Can't now it has come to a head. And Miss Cardi B, Miss Belcalis, has filed the papers. Mm-hmm. She said, "I will. I'm not taking no more." So, one, well, I'm gonna just say it. Like, first of all, this ain't none of my business. These are celebrities, but I always, instead of talking about the celebrity, I try to like take what's going on in their life and just like use it as a general example for life and so like this is what I'm doing here for those who still haven't picked up on me at episode five of the damn show (laughs) so for Cardi and Offset I think that she tried to go the respectable route and marry him because she was pregnant we've seen shotgun weddings before we've seen people get married because they have children and they have a glimpse of love for that person and they want to make it work but I think that this is just an example of like two people being in a marriage that weren't ready right right I'm glad that she is prioritizing her peace and leaving the situation. I have so much respect for women who leave. I have respect for women who stay. I have respect for women, period. But I have respect for women who leave, especially in a society that tends to demonize women for being divorced or for breaking up with people or for for moving on. Because, I mean, to be honest with you, we don't really see that happen a lot, happen a lot. A lot of people stay. I feel like we see it more in our generation, but in our parents' generation, we saw a lot of people stay in relationships that did not serve them. For sure. And be miserable. And the children had to watch it. And a lot of children who watch that think that that's essentially what love is or what love looks like. So um, I'm glad that she's setting an example for her baby girl by walking away from something that doesn't serve her. Um, I do not like the tweets that y'all sent out basically saying like, oh, I guess the WAP won't keep him. Girl, y'all love to troll women. That y'all was love so to troll much. women. Said, it was listen, a lot. 
y'all it was men to, y'all need men to get, did that no and women though i saw a lot of pick me's out here like oh i guess the wop didn't keep him girl i guess you do gotta cook and clean to keep the ring blah blah, blah. i want y'all to get rid of this notion that you can do anything to keep quote unquote a man because at the end of the day that's not how this works okay Mm-hmm. Uh, one day, as a society, we're going to be able to get to a point where we do not keep each other. Mm-hmm. This is like me, you know, like I'm a little bit of a hippie. And free we don't possess each other. We don't possess each other. I've said this in other episodes. We experience each other. We experience the things. We move through life together as compliments to each other, as people working through things, as human beings working through things. Mm-hmm. And I want y'all to get rid of this notion that you can do anything to keep somebody or to make them stay with you or to make them be loyal to you or be monogamous with you. That's just not mm-hmm. how this works. And that's okay. And we have to understand that in order to have fulfilling relationships. Y'all will learn mom, one day. My mom used to say, you can be the ripest, juiciest, most beautiful plum, because that's what she loves, in the world. And there will still be people that don't want or don't like or don't appreciate plums, right? And I think at the end of the day, you can be everything that the the world and society tells you to be in order to keep a man, in order to be in a relationship and be married. And there's a possibility that he just might not want it. And that's okay. Like, it's okay. Like, y'all got to chill. Like, so I hate that Cardi has to deal with like all of these disgusting ass tweets from men and women. Great point, Toby, that women did do that. Y'all love to pick me. Y'all love to like, I will never understand how a woman could use something as small as a man to try to like prove the worthiness of a woman based on like if that man wants them or wants to stay with them or I just don't understand that notion I believe as women we're worthy and we're capable and we're beautiful just because of who we are as people period so like I don't believe that you should like say these negative things. She's going through a public divorce. She wanted it to work. She loved this guy. It didn't work. He cheated. And I'm sure that she did some things too. Like they just didn't work. And I just, I think that's a part of the reason why like public relationships scare me because like, I don't want people asking me a bunch of questions when we didn't work out. I just want to be able to mind my business and move on and heal and, and just process. And the fact that, you know, literally a world stage is talking about this divorce and making it something as simple as a punchline when that's their lives. I think that's trifling. Y'all got to do better. Uh, maybe it's cause we in quarantine and y'all are bored or maybe y'all just been assholes like this all along. Either way, do better. There, There's a child involved, you know, children now are way more advanced. They can access social media. They can access, you know, comments, you know, like one day her child is going to have to read all this foolishness that her parents went through and we which they don't need to see is all of the public comment which adds to the complexity of an already complex situation so yeah yeah, do better so next mother nature decided she was gonna have a probate 
period. Like, hurricane season 2020 is so bad that now they're no longer using names. They ran out of them. And I mean, let's be real. At the close of hurricane season last year, they were using some crazy names. Like, Andre. Like, they was use, they were using some, like, really, like, ethnic-ass names for some of these hurricanes. But now we've gotten to the point where they're using Greek nomenclature so the hurricane that was supposed to land last week was called beta and look we don't got that many greek letter alphabets (laughs) (laughs) to go like i mean we're at the beginning but what i'm saying is at the rate we're going like i feel like we're gonna have like literally run through the greek letter alphabet because it just seems like every other day we have a new tropical storm turned hurricane coming through Mm. and look at that climate change look at that climate crisis Mm. crisis in <laughs> we tr- listen we tried to tell y'all al we gore tried to tell y'all. oh my god al gore, <laughs> al gore tried to tell y'all and y'all laughed him out of here in 2004 he tried to tell y'all al gore was like nah we need to like pay attention to the climate and y'all was like uh, 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 uh. no we'll just vote the big oil man in like <laughs> y'all was not trying to hear his ass so mm it's hurricane season i'm gonna be honest with you we've gotten some storms in austin over the last two weeks we don't really experience flooding here but some of the thunder and lightning that we experienced had me feeling so antsy because thunder and lightning really does trigger me and it was bad i mean there was a time period for like three days all it did was rain it gave me seattle vibes the sun didn't Mm. come out when you got here, the sun was not out. It was very right. gloomy. The sun's out today, thank goodness. I think for the most part, it's you know transitioned over. But I do know that Houston did experience some some flooding. So um, prayers and thoughts to anyone who's impacted by this hurricane season. Stay up. Absolutely. But I think you know what we need to do as a society and as a collective. We need to take climate change a lot more seriously. I feel like we're a little too late in some regard, but for what we what it's worth and what we can do moving forward, we need to prioritize because y'all, it's getting real. Like sea levels are rising. Listen, I don't even about, know if we're gonna have. I'm not even gonna <laughs> get into my you know climate change sustainability bag right now, yeah. but yeah. I'm just telling y'all we are on limited time unless we start mm-hmm. making some real changes and y'all need to pressure y'all's policymakers to make those changes. Cause it ain't got shit to do with what us middle-class lower-class people is doing, to be honest with you. Oh, it's, it's corporate America. Like 70% of the world's emissions is um, controlled by corporate entities. So, I mean, yes, there's a lot that we can do to reduce our carbon footprint, but at the end of the day, corporate sustainability is is really it's where like we're a, going it's to It's a top hit. 10 list that we really need to like pressure right now. Like y'all need to start buckling down on these emissions or it's not going to be okay. Exactly. Save the environment or whatever. And we'll go more into detail about that, you know, in further episodes. And of course, we have a sustainability shoddy section, but it wouldn't be us if we didn't mention the sheer fact that the weather is so wild that like we literally ran out of nomenclature naming for (laughs) hurricanes like that is crazy. I think that's the first time I've ever even heard of some bullshit like that. But yeah, Um, transitioning into the bullshit that has happened this week 
um Daystar. I'll let what you cover a joke. that. What a joke. I'm not going to do too much because honestly, we've been talking about it and I don't want to give too much power to this man or his name or his entity, who he is as, you know, a celebrity in some respect. But I'm just over black men disrespecting black women and on the cusp of America telling us that they don't respect black women is a it's like a punch to the throat for a black man to completely gaslight a black woman who has had to corroborate her story over and over again about the harm that was performed against her by the same by the same black man the ways that Tory Lanez that Daystar who whatever you want to call him his the mama named him Daystar, so I'm going to name him Daystar. Daystar. <laughs> the ways that he has caused harm against Megan Thee Stallion and has refused to acknowledge the fact that she actually protected him and chose mm-hmm. to protect him in time in a time where his life could have easily been taken, knowing the things that we know about how police interact with men and especially black men with guns. Mm-hmm. Um I just, it's baffling to me that you could be so obtuse and you could be so without empathy. This whole thing has been a trigger for me from the very beginning. And I'm going to open up a little bit here about why, because I just have to process if you just give me a moment to. So I really just didn't like how when this first happened so many people were looking and I guess trying to find a reason to make this okay to justify Megan getting shot right like at first when we heard she got shot it was weird and everybody was like who shot Meg like that was literally the hashtag like everybody was super confused and people made a meme out of her like they made a they made a meme out of her. They made this to be something that was funny. And from the very beginning, I was sick to my stomach, and it was a trigger. I've had guys say all types of things from "Why are you so worried about celebrities? We got bigger things to worry about." Blah blah blah. I'm so tired of y'all using things or using instances like this as an excuse to, I guess, avoid a larger conversation. To me, the larger conversation is, is around the protection of black women, right? Like this happened at the hands of a partner or someone she was in relationship with. And it was a form of domestic violence. And when you look at the domestic violence numbers, we know that black women are impacted disproportionately when it comes to like violence perpetuated against them. So, or against us. Because I'm, I'm mm-hmm. in a number, of course. I don't want y'all to think that I'm like, you know, being a Rachel Dolezal <laughs> out here. But it's really been telling to see some of the shit that I've seen on social media from men trying to come up with some rationale about like, oh, well, she was trying to be a hot girl or just like there's no there is no reason to rationalize shooting someone. 
Like, I don't give a fuck how upset or angry you are about what someone did, did to you or what someone said to you. Nothing explains you shooting them. Nothing explains you putting your hands on them. To me, it just explains that you have a lack of self-control and you need to do some work and you need to, you know, really understand how to properly process emotions seek therapy seriously um I'm very very pissed off about all of this and I think for me for him to and his team to not read the room and to like come up with this I don't even know if it was an album or if it was a freestyle I ignored it I know that there's a freestyle about Megan I think he came out with a whole album and launched it Yes. Um, and in the, in the freestyle, he mentioned like some issues with Megan Kalani, like he essentially dissed women who sided with Megan and said, we won't be in relationships with, um, mm-hmm. Tori, We're whether it be songs from our album, mm-hmm. which Kalani did which Kelani did and it's like dude do you not real like you're here here we are you are coming up with reasons and essentially saying you didn't shoot her where like you had a gun she got shot it's in the police report she came on live tearing up and saying you shot her like bro like I don't really want to hear anything you have to say I don't care I didn't look at anything coming from him. I didn't listen to anything coming from him. I just saw the backlash. I saw a lot of people like me that were like, I'm not listening to that. But then it was a bunch of Tory stands, which I didn't even realize mm-hmm. Tory was big enough had to have fans. that many fans. <laughs> like that, well, exactly. I didn't even know he had fans, but his fans were literally like searching Tory Lane's name and, and responding to people's tweets saying the most disgusting things and i noticed a trend that a lot of those fans were not black there were this was a lot of non-black women attacking dark-skinned women and there was a lot of like Mm -hmm. non-black men commenting on this and i just want to say stay out of black folk business i'm not trying to be funny this is the situation happened between a black woman and a black man and this this is a part of a larger conversation about the protection of black women she was not protected and even in the midst of being shot, she still tried to protect you. The least you could have done was just shut up. Just that's shut all, up. That's all you had to do. And that's the shit You're that a man. Me the most upset. Because it's like, you... <laughs> you already... She's already not pressing charges against you. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you sat here and decided to make a whole album, and it was an album, to clear that up. Like, he made yeah, a whole it was album. An album. Yeah. The fact that you released this album on the premise, regardless of whether each song had something to do with her or not, uh, you released it on the premise of knowing that your name was in people's mouths, mostly because of the harm that you enacted on a black woman. Mm-hmm. You just, and this is like off the cusp of like Tori, I was really like down for him for a little bit when all of this, uh, when all of the protesting started here in America because he was saying some real shit. He was definitely like on his, you know, like activism shit a little bit. It seemed to me in terms of talking about like and especially calling out celebrities and talking mm-hmm. about the ways that they should, you know, utilize their power to you know, lift up this activism that was happening. I was so he was saying things that I was like, "Yes, Tori, yes." 
and that was a spot responsible to way to use your platform that's yes. what i was thinking Right. And then to do this and how, first of all, have the situation happen and then to further compound on that situation by trying to capitalize off of it. It just makes me sick because I'm just like, y'all really don't give a fuck about black women like damn. And his team didn't even have the foresight or I guess just like the knowledge to say, hey, this Breonna Taylor indictment decision is coming out. Maybe this isn't the best week to even release this album, given what you're up against. You know, like, See, but do I you have PR? I agree with that. I think that that even made it. I don't know if that even crossed their minds, but I think that that even made it even more so that people felt like, they didn't have like I don't think people first of all I don't think people connected the two but also that compounded on the fact that like just like this consistent notion that people do not people get over the harm committed against black women very quickly if at all yeah Yeah. and after hearing the verdict about that had almost literally nothing to do with Breonna Taylor's murder for him to release an album like that and the fact that it made number one on Apple Music for a minute. I don't know if it's still the same today or like at this point A lot point of people listen to it to be nosy. A lot of people listen to, yes. And a lot of people listen to it based on the fact that they, you know, wanted to learn some tea or wanted to be able to refute Megan Thee Stallion's story or shit like that. And I just, it again makes me sick and also just continues to reiterate the fact that like black women are not treated as human beings we are not given the same amount of respect as any other demographic in this world and I don't understand like what we did (laughs) to piss y'all off except be our most phenomenal selves and it's really sad and we deserve better. It also pissed me off that Clifford Harris decided that he wanted to talk to Tory and basically complex, which another story for another day. They posted the excerpt and it said, listen, man, I don't know, but I spoke to him. He said the shit didn't happen like that. I said, well, you need to be saying something, bro. How did it happen? And he said he couldn't say nothing about how it did actually happen. I told him mm. I understood that. I said, man, you can't expect nobody to ignore the facts that are being presented if you don't have any other conclusive facts that can overturn these. You got to say something, bruh. So I can almost guarantee him to you, like, T.I. was probably one of the reasons why he even decided to come up with this dumbass album. Because, you know, the one thing, and we alluded to it last episode when I was joking when I said like oh because we know what happens when people get canceled we see that cancel culture isn't really a thing black men rise above cancel culture all the time black women are the only victims of cancel culture y'all still got Chrisette Michelle the hell out of here and won't give her a chance but think about all the other shit that men have done and this is not me saying I hate men please hear me out I'm saying there's a stark difference in how we look at forgiveness in terms of 
black women and forgiveness and accountability in terms of black men and as a as a collective we have to do better the grace that we're so willing to give men we also have to extend to women and the accountability that we tend to demonize women with we need to um, extend some of that accountability onto men and we have to be better people and we have to be better to each other we have to treat each other better do the work learn how to process your anger and your feelings realize that it is not okay to put your hands on people you know a lot of the things that we discuss in celebrity life, people love to try to gaslight you and say, stop talking about celebrities as if this does not happen in real life. I am here to tell you that I am the friend of someone who lost their life at the hands of a partner who shot them. Okay. So I'm here to tell you as someone who was a close friend of someone and had to process the loss of you know, losing someone that you love at the hands of a domestic partner that is never just about those two people. It's about all of the people that both those individuals love and are in those lives. And that day, two people were lost. We lost two people. We lost him to the system and to the process of him having to give up his his life and his freedom. And we lost her and she never got to grow up and become the woman that she wanted to be and that happened in high school high school Mm. let's think about that think about all of the younger children and kids that look at these celebrities and how impressionable things are you can tell a lot about a society based on how it treats its women and all I'm saying is we got to do better and that's on period absolutely and to just uh continue on in that in that light and then that notion of having to do better um we need to tackle this system that we live in right now because it is not serving us it's not Mm -hmm. serving anybody to be honest um in a lot of different ways but we got the verdict about you know where how we could hold um the louisville kentucky police department uh, accountable for Breonna Taylor's murder and <laughs> they turned around and said to us that our lives don't matter once again um this did not come as a surprise to me I absolutely was heartbroken though again once again because this system in the United States just continues to show that you know like it was made divinely for white men and I just want to point out the ways that like white supremacy is just pervasive within our society and within the ways that we quote-unquote call it justice Um, I think it's ridiculous to me that there was one police officer out of the three that had something to do with Breonna Taylor's murder one police officer was prosecuted um And that was for endangering the lives of Breonna Taylor's neighbors and not the fact that her life was taken on some bullshit. Honestly, that's all I can really call it. And I'm angry about it and I'm hurt and I don't (laughs) I'm really trying to I'm really struggling to find a place to like direct this energy. I think Mm -hmm. I can only do it in like the work that I'm continuing to do with the different projects I have. But I just I don't I can't imagine 
how it must feel to be her family members. I'm keeping them mm-hmm. in my prayers. I am sending peace to them and love to them because this is not something that should happen. And in a just society and a society that's so-called democratic, we should be able to hold people accountable for the actions that they take. And there are some gross, very gross um, actions that were taken when you think about how these events played out that led to Breonna Taylor's death. Um, And I don't really have that much more to say about it. I think that we've been, I think a whole bunch of people have been talking about it and there have been multiple posts on social media and multiple, you know, reactions from different people in different ways. Um, I will say that I think that it's completely justified that people want to burn shit to the ground and you're not going to catch me condemning people for that. And I just wanted to point that out. I wanted to say that um, because I think that a lot of people feel like black people should just be taking this shit and that we should just sit here and, oh, well, the the system said, you know, that that's what that's what they deem correct and so that's what justice is and you know we just gotta sit there and take it like no i'm tired of this shit and i know other people are tired of this shit so first for those who may not know i just want to say that you know the officer brett hankinson was charged with three felony counts of wanton endangerment for the bullets that went into the other apartment. So he was not charged in Brianna's death at all. He was given a $15,000 cash bond and no other officers were being charged at that time. Um, in addition, I want to add that wanton endangerment in the first degree in the state of Kentucky um, holds a max sentence of one to five years in prison. Also, in addition, I want to give a little bit more color to wanton endangerment because that was one of the first times I've heard of it. And it's essentially like a fourth degree felony, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and essentially for a sense of scale, literally like unauthorized use of credit card involving a sum of money between 500 and $1,000 is also a fourth degree felony. Wanton endangerment is typically what they charge people for firing a gun into the air. And I'm pissed that her neighbor's walls got more justice than Brianna did. It bothers me. It's like the world shows us every day how little we matter in the grand scheme of things and it was just a slap in the face that it was announced and this happened at the hands of a black man I Mm. and I wanted to have faith right like I knew that this was going to happen but a part of me was like well maybe this time will be different maybe this time we might actually get justice Mm. for her. Mm -mm. Maybe, you know, Mm -mm. I was like, you know, I wanted to be hopeful, but the back of my mind, I was like, this is America. When have we ever got gotten justice for things that, you know, impact us. But then I had to sit with the realization that we can't reform a system that wants to kill us. 
Nah. It like you I can't. said, that shit. <laughs> it but was perfectly like, made for them. Exactly, but it's also like the Louisville Police Department said they did nothing wrong. But if they did nothing wrong, then why was he fired? Why did they change their whole policy about no knock warrants and ban them? Okay, why was her family passed the whole million law? Dollars? Like if if you guys didn't have any negligence, then there wouldn't have been any grounds for a, a civil suit. In my opinion, I'm not an, I'm not an attorney. This is just my basic thoughts around the law. And once again, we're reminded that property has more value than black human life. Like, and they just a the whole process. Like they tried to frame her boyfriend. Then they tried to frame her by, by getting her ex-boyfriend to lie on her. You want to know how small the world is? Um, Brianna Taylor's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, I think his last name is. He is the brother of a Spellman woman. And so, like, a few days after the shit happened... She had posted on one of the Spellman Facebook pages talking about he had been arrested and that, you know, like they had like a GoFundMe so that they could post bail for him. Like that's how small our community is in America specifically. And I just want to point light to that. I want to take the time to acknowledge that because a lot of the shit that we go through and especially in regards to people who are taken away from us by at the hands of police violence. A lot of people, you know, like, they kind of just pass it off, and they're like, police brutality isn't no shit. Like, you know, like, it's not something that's just kind of far away. It's not something that when we're talking about, like, having to show up to work, having to show up to school in the ways that we interact with people who are non-black, and the hurt that we feel and the pain that we feel when other people, other people's families and other people are taken away by at the hands of police violence. Like this is not, it's not a game and it's not something that people are just trying to raise up to get clout. Like this is something that is real and it is so close to home. Like most black people are not separated by like more than three degrees and I just want to give light to that and give space for that because a lot of times I feel like a lot of people, and especially in this society that's so desensitized to the ways that we are connected to each other, we don't acknowledge, you know, how it affects us, how police brutality affects us. It hurts, and it especially hurts when you see yourself in that person. Like, Breonna Taylor, I think she was, like, close to the same age as us. And there's just certain things that I just feel like you just got to acknowledge the hurt about it. And you recreate like, when is the day, when are they going to value my life enough, you know? Yeah. We created a space after the news was shared we created a space at work for black women to join a VC and kind of talk about how we were feeling. And 
it just reminded me, especially being a single black woman in a city where you don't know anyone and you don't have family or really close friends by you, how since I moved here to Austin, I've been in a state of anxiety, meaning like I'm so terrified of being in my home sometimes. We're not even safe in our homes. And just the notion of like the one place where you're supposed to find solitude and refuge is your home. And we, we we're not even safe there. And so since hearing about Brianna Taylor and learning about her case and her experience, like knowing what happened to Sandra Bland so close to her moving to a new city in Texas, when I moved here, not even three hours of me being in Austin, someone called the police on me because I was standing outside and I was waiting for um, my key because the relocation company screwed up and didn't have my key in the box and I couldn't access it. So I was standing, you know, by the door with my suitcases, um, just patiently waiting where they told me to wait. And I guess a neighbor or someone saw me and thought I was doing something suspicious and called the police not where I live currently. This was in corporate housing at a swanky building downtown, probably on gentrified land. And I remember just the terror I felt in that moment, like when they walked up to me, like I was super nervous. I started crying and officer was just like, no, calm down. I didn't mean to scare you. I just wanted to make sure you were okay because you know, it's raining and you're out here. Um, I can try to get in contact with someone in the building, let you in or whatever, but that we all know, we both know that that could have went a totally different way. And I've, I've just been sitting with that. And since I moved into my place, I noticed little things that I do more recently that I didn't even realize was a defense mechanism. Like when you aren't here and then when I don't have guests, I have a habit of putting my hair dryer in front of my door. So the idea, I guess, behind that is if someone opens my door, kicks the door in, I'll hear the the hairdryer fall. Mm. I can tell you that I know that's not really rational, but I've just been terrified to be in my home alone in a city where I don't know people and I don't really feel the safest here. Um, then it's not even just a Texas thing. It's just period. Just because like ever since I heard about Brianna and I can just imagine her being tired from a shift on the front lines, fighting this virus, being home, just trying to get some rest. And this is what she's met with in her own home. And like, I've been having to really sit with that and process And I know that I really just can't even articulate the horror that tends to, like, consume me when I think about the details of her death. And and all too often, we hear more about the details of people's deaths than we do their lives and who they were as human beings. I mean, y'all use this woman for memes and for clout and for newspaper headlines and documentaries for views and clicks 
for likes and to go viral just for mentioning her name and you commodify wokeness just so you can seem like you were in Mm. as if she wasn't a person who had a job who had family who loved who just wanted a normal life I mean I looked at some of the photos that she posted on her Twitter page of her and she was just like us she was a girl's girl she liked getting dressed up she liked her makeup she liked her heels she liked taking photos she liked spending time with the people that she loved she was one of us and she deserved better than we could give her and sitting with the fact that she doesn't have justice and her mom I just keep thinking about her mother because just how her mother talks about her, I can tell they were close and it mirrors and reminds me of me and my mom and how, you know, my mom talks about me. And I just think about like her mom has to go through this world, losing her child and losing her child in the manner in which she lost her child and not even being able to find peace knowing that her child's killers actually are being held accountable for the actions that they took that led to her untimely death. So overall, I'm angry. (laughs) I'm frustrated. I am just tired. I'm tired of this. It's exhausting. And everything for me, it's like the symbolism that they have behind these things. And this is not me trying to be a conspiracy theorist, but both Breonna Taylor and Emmett Till's murderers were let off scot-free on the same exact day, 65 years apart from each other. What the fuck? Do y'all think we're stupid? Our black history keeps reminding us, our black history, which is American history, keeps reminding us that these things are not new and that complete abolition and revolution needs to happen in order to move forward. And y'all just won't get it through your thick skulls. The y'all I'm referring to is the United States democracy in general. We just keep on getting reminded. And just to continue on how dumb this is, like the bond for one of Breonna Taylor's murderers, I know I mentioned it was $15,000. Do you know what the average bond is for a Haitian immigrant in ICE detention? Child. 16170 Abolish ICE. I know I said a lot. It's a lot for me to process. I've been between this and just like COVID and this Megan Tory thing. It's just, it's exhausting just to see how the world views black women, right? It's exhausting. And I'm tired. I'm tired of it. My sister's out there. I just want you guys to like, Take care of yourself. Find joy wherever you can find joy. I want to just let you guys know that it's okay to, like, have to sit in your feelings and process, too. Like, you don't have to, like, 
ignore your feelings here. It's okay to be angry. I know for me, as soon as I heard about this, like I immediately went and played a seat at the table by Solange because for some reason, even years later, that the album just resonates with me on a totally different level. And I drank wine out of some black owned, black woman owned wine glasses that I bought that got delivered to me on the exact day of of that this decision was announced and that gave me peace and then Toby arrived later on that day and we cooked I made tacos and we drank a little bit too much (laughs) and we watched a movie and that that gave me peace because I, I just I went through the second half of my day so angry, so tired. I mean, just I just didn't have the words to process how I was feeling, and it felt good to be with someone that I didn't even have to open my mouth and try to process because I knew that she understood where I was on the matter too, and I understood how she was feeling. So really, just prioritize your well being during this time. Like it's tough. It's hard. This is a crazy time that we're in, and I just wish that this world was better. I'm so sorry, Brianna, and I wish that we could have done better by you because you deserve so much more than what you were given. And I can only hope for the sake of our children and our children's children that one day this world will be a better place for them because I know in my lifetime I probably won't see it. And that's just the the harsh reality that I've had to face more recently. Yeah. To round out just the sip, um, we just want to also talk about uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg for a second and just acknowledge, you know, the things that she did throughout her life and especially as a Supreme Court justice to be able to paved the way for a lot of things, especially for women, um, in terms of creating policy and enacting change within this system that still completely needs to change. But, you know, doing the little bit that she did definitely opened up a lot of doors and allowed allowed a lot of people to live more live live more of a life within this democratic system that we're with that we're in. Um, and so just, you know, acknowledging the contributions that she gave and they were important. Yeah, that's basically everything I have to say about that. I am thankful for her contributions. Um, I believe in you guys can keep me true to this. She was the first woman to lie and repose at the Supreme Court of the United States earlier this week. But the one thing that I will say it has been frustrating about this entire situation is that, like, our political system should not be up in arms when one person dies. And so I just For really sure. wish that we would reevaluate some of the systems that we had set in place generations and generations ago when, you know, Alexander Hamilton and Autumn, you know, decided to become this experiment and create this experiment that is the United States of America 
I feel like we need to really consider some things and I don't think that people should sit on their Supreme Court for the rest of their lives. I think there should be some terms there. Um, Absolutely. Especially to keep in times with what's happening and what's changing in our society and the ways that thoughts are changing. We just need, to me, a complete overhaul. And I think that when we're thinking about the life that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was able to lead, um, I think that a lot of people are hesitant to also be able to criticize, critique the things that she also said and, you know, critique the ways that she navigated relationships. Um, I think I'd like to say that, you know, I didn't always agree with some of the things that happened um, in terms of what she spent her term as Supreme Court justice doing. There were a lot of things that she could have done better, especially in regards to indigenous people and people of color and black people um, and brown people. There's just a lot there that the things that she said and the ways that she had relationships, especially with like Justice Scalia. um, There are ways that she could have done better. And in acknowledging that, I think that moving forward, we need to take that into account when we are choosing, um, not we, but when whoever is in power chooses the next Supreme Court justice, I think that that should be taken into account. Of course, you know, right now we're kind of entrenched in this battle of seeing whether um, the current president of the United States is going to choose a Supreme Court nominee before uh, we can get to this next election, but those are the type of things that should be taken into account. Like when you're talking about inclusivity and making sure that this society is just for everybody and not just for a small few of the population, that's something that should be taken into account. Um, and a lot of times we don't really acknowledge that. And so again, like I've said before, and I'll probably say it again, like Get involved in your policy. Get involved in who is representing your state. If you don't vote in any other election, you should be voting in your local elections. If only for the fact that those things are what trickles down the most quickly in terms of policies and ways that our lives are and the rules of living in the society are determined. The one thing that I want to add to everything that you just said is that I know for me personally, I'm not interested in your Susan B. Anthony feminism. I am interested in a feminist movement that includes intersectionality and includes everyone. Um, And there's amazing work that RBG did for us, right? Not even going to sit here and lie. There's more work to be done. There's better work to be done, right? And even all the way down to hiring practices. Like, and we're going to go into Uncorked and talk about this a little more in detail there. But even when the clerks for the Supreme Court of the United States uh, stood on the steps to um, honor her as her body was arriving to lie in repose there, there was one or two black clerks out of over a hundred and a lot of us know the elitism 
that goes into getting a role like that. Most of the time, they only look at candidates who go to Ivy League schools, and we all know the process uh, of admission for a lot of these Ivy Leagues aren't even based on merit. They're based on who you know. So there's a broader conversation to be had about how we can do better. And so moving into our uncourt, I want to actually discuss more about where Wells Fargo. So, so earlier this week, the CEO of Wells Fargo said with his full face that essentially they can't hire, they don't hire many black folk because they can't find the talent. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. So wanted to, (laughs) what is your general reaction or thoughts about that phrase? You have been someone who worked in recruiting. You're black in America. You have also applied for jobs. Like what is, what is just your opinion there? I am wholly unsurprised (laughs) because, um, when you talk about leadership of companies and even um, even panning out from the fact that Wells Fargo and their practices in terms of the way that they've treated black folks in the past and their institutionalized redlining and things of that sort aside, <laughs> which how can you put that aside? But let's just let's just like put push that aside for a second. Regardless of that, there's this uh, notion in corporate America that there's not enough diverse talent. And so that's why these companies have struggled for so long to fill, to put butts in seats um, with people that aren't white or aren't male. And I think it's laughable at this point when you think about the amount of talent that comes out of HBCUs alone. But then when you even talk about the amount of black talent and um, talent of other people of color that comes out of PWIs, I just think Mm -hmm. it's hilarious to me that people are still touting the same notion in 2020 or whenever he said it. I'm pretty sure it was like within the last year or so. Um. And it's a sorry excuse, and it's tired, and it's boring, and you're just not putting in the work that you think you are. Um, I don't recommend that people work for Wells Fargo. Like I said, they have had a history of redlining. Their whole institution is wholly based on slavery and um, the accounting that had happened during slavery when Black people were considered chattel. So to me, I'm like, I don't want to work for a company like that anyway, because I'm pretty sure that they haven't acknowledged that that is a thing and what they were built on and what their foundation was grown from. Regardless of that, there's enough black talent to go around. And so for somebody who's an executive leadership to say that you are you're not putting in the work you're not Mm -hmm. it doesn't even take that much to search for it I'm sure if you search in your database your pipeline that your recruiters are forming you could find that black talent but you just don't want to so just say that just say you don't want to hire black folk I think that would just be a lot easier be less words you know the talent is there I can't 
tell you the amount of times I referred extremely talented and almost overqualified black folk and they didn't even get a phone screening in the referral process for the companies in which I've worked for in the past. So yeah, let's just say, let's just call a spade a spade. Y'all are racist. And that's a part of the reason why you don't have the talent that you seek or the talent that would allow your environment to be diverse is because your talent and when you get that talent you don't even do anything to retain it you push them out of technical areas and into diversity and inclusion and belonging roles you don't provide a secure pipeline of management a lot of times, by the time some black folk are even hired, they're already working on attrition plans to get them to leave. Let's be real. So your attainment sucks. <laughs> you don't have a plan to keep people of color or black people within your company. I could go on for so long, but I'm going to just leave it there. Y'all are lazy and your tactics are tired. It's not a us way, problem. It's a you it's problem. Not it's you. At all. It's you. It's not you. It's not us. It's you. And until you do better, you won't have the diversity that you seek. You don't even seek it. You just want an excuse because basically we're now in an environment where a lot of people are being held and um, I guess called to carpet, if you will, for their lack of diversity and inclusion and belonging and their hiring practices and their retention practices across the board. It's a hot topic. People want to talk about it. There's an article a day that comes out about just how how people are treated in the workplace, right? It's been like that since uh, it, the Me Too movement started. And I believe the Me Too movement has morphed into more of a conversation about black people at work just because of everything that's happened while we were in quarantine. That's my, that's my fair assessment of, of what's going on in society. And this is stupid. He's stupid. Clearly you don't, you're not equipped to be a leader if you can't even acknowledge maybe, Hey, we had some shortcomings, maybe within our hiring processes, there were some breakdowns and we didn't at the time have an infrastructure that, you know, knew how to recruit, but we're taking that as an action item and we're going to solve this issue. Or maybe if you don't think that there's diverse talent and you can't find it, put your money where your mouth is and pay for people to get these credentials that you say they don't have. Okay. (laughs) But they won't. You took away from people. You you essentially charged people higher interest rates just because they were black. You capitalized on racism. Absolutely. If anything, you should be paying restitution to those people and giving them a fair a fair shot at life when you inherently aided in the process of just making life difficult for black and brown people. But you know what? Fuck them. It is what it is. I don't bank with Wells Fargo. Go work for, you know, I'm not finna bank with them. I'm not finna work for them. So I'm cool, to be honest. I'm good. I'm it's, it's, You know, as for me and my house, for those who do, like, I, I'm so sorry. Like, I understand that sometimes your employer can have some shit in a new cycle and you're just like, I'm just trying to collect a check. I just, I got to work. I, I got to work in order to live, in order to eat. And I get it. Trust me, I get it. So... I just feel like at that level, you should know better and know what to say and what not to say. And that was something that you could have shut up 
Like, simple. Shutting the fuck up is free. Like, you could have just done that and you your company wouldn't have been in, in this new cycle and you wouldn't have been in this new cycle. But you just had to be the smartest in the room and come up with a take that was dumb. So, um, enjoy getting dragged, but let's be real. Cancel culture ain't real. So he'll reappear. He ain't getting fired. No, I mean, he already put out his like pithy little, you know, apology, (laughs) which wasn't worth shit to me, to be honest. You know what, what they're going to do? He, he's going to apologize in like three or four months. He's going to appear at one of these HBCUs with a large check of some sort. And he's going to write the check and he's going to be there to hand somebody at the school to check and all will be well. And, and this will just move on and not be a thing. And people will still bank there and they will still, you know, aid in the disenfranchisement of black and brown people, rinse, recycle, repeat. I Anyways, mm. I hate it here. Hate on to something here. a little bit more lighter, something that actually like gave me joy on social media this week. <laughs> there was a tweet and it was like essentially um, for the life of me. I don't know why Usher says crank that Batman at the end of love in this club. <laughs> I thought they were lying, but then I went back and listened to the song a few times just to confirm. And I can confirm he does say crank that Batman at the end of the song. I do not know why, but I (laughs) urge every single one of y'all to go back and listen to it. First of all, Love in This Club used to be my joint back in the day. So I actually like the fact that they brought this up because it just gave me like a moment of nostalgia to go back and like think about where I was when that song came out because that was a little bop for like the entire summer. I still listen to it, okay? Yeah, of course. Especially when he got Beyonce on the remix. Like I listen to both. I love both. I love like the original and I love the remix. That was back in the day when people could come up with remixes and they were just as good as the original song. And you can equally enjoy both. Remember those days? Yes. Uh, I love So back to some bullshit. And the final topic for Uncorked this week. (laughs) I'm going to let you take this one on because I'm I'm just, what the fuck? (sighs) I am tired. That's what I am. Tired. So in the midst of the bullshit that came down about Breonna Taylor and how they're essentially not holding her her killers accountable. In the same in the same vein, uh, y'all's Cheeto president decided that he was going to cut federal funding from quote unquote democratic cities. That's a whole mouthful right there, but I'm gonna just move on real quick. So this um. This New York Times article says President Trump has directed federal officials to find ways to cut funding to a string of cities controlled by Democrats, citing violence amid protests against systemic racism in policing. Essentially, what he's trying to say is that, you know, there's been a lot of unrest and we've seen all of these protests. And he thinks that by punishing these cities who are run by Democrats, that he can kind of get control of what's happening and, you know, get control of this unrest and this racial movement reckoning that we're having right now. And I think it's it's a little bit hilarious to me because it's like, bro, like we live in a democracy. 
literally people have a right to speak and they have a right to protest. And I think it's just funny how, you know, they'll say all these hateful things and think that there will be no recourse for it. They think that there will be no, you know, backlash against the stupid racist bullshit that they have to say all the time or all the policies that they pass that are completely and blatantly against what we want this country to be about. Um, I just think it's funny that you're threatening to utilize, to wield capitalism, to go against democracy when allegedly you want people to be taught that colonizers came here to institute democracy. It's like, which one do you want? It's really baffling to me. I just wanted to give y'all a little bit of, you know, what's happening in our political system. And again, urge you to both vote and raise your voice in different ways so that we can let them know that this isn't okay. Plus one, everything that you said, I feel a way like y'all are dumb. Like I, I, I feel like you said everything that I pretty much felt, but also I'm just tired of people not getting the point. I'm at a point where I'm not interested in discourse with people who are committed to misunderstanding me and misunderstanding the purpose. And I'm not interested in discussing my humanity with people anymore. If that makes sense. I'm over it. Like we're literally saying defund the police because they're killing us for no reason. And this system is fucked up and y'all are, y'all are capitalizing off of prisoners when you should not be. We're saying our system does not reform. We're saying that our system does not reform. It does not rehabilitate. Like our system is flawed. And the only way to change is if we drain the swamp. You know, that is a phrase that y'all love to use. And I'm using your phrase on you. Like, we have to start over. We can't build upon an unshaky infrastructure. We can't. We can't because there's going to be so many people from a change management perspective who are going to be resistant to that change and not going to be open to to it. There's going to be a lot of crooks that are still going to be secretly, you know, in behind closed rooms doing other things that shouldn't be done. So, unfortunately, that's just where we are. And to try to like to try to say we're going to decrease federal spending or provide funding for these cities as if those individuals in those cities aren't paying taxes. And some of those cities probably paying higher taxes than most because in places like Seattle and places like, you know, New York, they tend to have higher income due to just the cost of living. So they're paying higher income yields, higher taxes. They're actually paying more tax dollars than places like Kentucky. No shade, but like another issue that we had across the board is, um, you know, even during coronavirus times, I remember when um, New York was basically talking shit about Kentucky because New York was asking for funding for coronavirus and Mitch McConnell was essentially trying to talk shit about states having their handout when Kentucky literally requests more federal funding than any other state because of their financial situations. 
I know I said a lot. I read a lot. So I, I just know these random facts and I remember situations very clearly. And I remember that happening. And I remember saying this, the hypocrisy of it all for you to stand in front of folks and say, Hey, like the States are asking for too much when your own state that you represent asks for more federal funding than any other state. <laughs> what? Hello. Like, you know, so and I don't understand. I mean, we can talk about this for days. Maybe we'll have a whole episode dedicated to the gross political like reasoning and lack of logic that runs through our system right now. But I just, you know, it it baffles me that <laughs> the GOP will sit here and they'll be all about trying to run their money up, right? And get get a bag essentially. But and in the same vein, y'all are in the same vein, y'all are condemning people for benefiting off of government subsidies, but y'all are the ones that are making the most money off of those government subsidies. So who really is the welfare queen, sis? Like who really is benefiting off of the government aiding them and helping them? That's literally how y'all have managed to keep and retain your wealth. So to me, I'm just like, y'all y'all really don't have room to like really sit here and be like, we shouldn't be helping them. They should be defunded, blah, blah, blah. And your president is trash with his budget. This man Mm. gave X amount of money to the Pentagon, redirected that money from COVID aid, which is why we're sitting here with 200,000 people dead off of this pandemic. Like, mm. it makes me angry. <laughs> y'all's, Pentag- y'all's Pentagon spent $1 billion of coronavirus aid for jet engines and body armor. I'm going to just say that. And you can Google it. it. It's real. It happened. It's right Re-read. there. It's right there. They they spent a bill a $1 billion during a global pandemic, and we are on the precipice of another like financial crisis another we're in the like we're literally on the precipice of another financial crisis and another wave of covid spikes remember dr fauci even said earlier this year that he can imagine as we approach flu season that we're going to see another uptick of people who are getting sick i'm hearing stories after stories after stories of people getting sick again with coronavirus right now Every yes. time I turn around, uh, you know, somebody is posting that they tested positive again. We are in the second wave and the aid that we possibly could have used in order to really like try to fast track some of this research was spent on jet engines and body armor. Body armor for what? Who are you arming your body from? What you about to do? Black bodies, <laughs> which black these black bodies that are protesting. Look. Look, they just released this study. 93% of the protests that have happened in the past few months were peaceful. 93%. Mm. Are you kidding, bro? 93%. (laughs) But they want to focus on the 7%. And a lot of times what we've noticed is that 7% isn't even from black or brown people. Okay. It's literally from people whose literal mission and job is to elicit fear and panic and antagonize and cause issues we've seen it that guy and i'm tired 
<laughs> fuck y'all. I was gonna say That's I had a whole point. Uh -huh. I had Fuck a whole point. I had a whole point that I was about to make and go into detail with some facts and figures, but I'm tired. I I, I wrap this segment up just to say, "Fuck y'all, I'm tired." Like seriously, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, and the only thing my mind can go to is like, "Fuck y'all." I'm prioritizing my own humanity, my own peace. So this is trash and fuck y'all. I say all that to say that. And that's it. So for Sip Happens, we just wanted to bring a little bit more, bring some joy back um, into this episode and say that we're recording live worldwide together. Mm -hmm. We're together. And that's probably why this episode is going to be a lot longer than what it normally <laughs> is because we're actually together. Um, Tobes decided to come to Austin and spend some quality time with your girl. And yeah, so tell, tell them more about like your time so far. I know we just been doing a lot of working and shit. Yeah, but, girl. Like, we about to go up today, though. You know, um, <laughs> we've been in our bag all week. So I think that we deserve like today and tomorrow to really take care of ourselves and find some mm -hmm. joy. Um, which is what we finna do. Like, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here in general um, and that we get to spend some time with each other because I ain't seen you in two years, girl. I know. It's been like two years. It's been a while. So I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited to share my home with you. I hope I'm being hospitable. You can talk shit if I'm not. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I've been able to use all these appliances I'm getting a little jealous that I don't have my own place right now. Um, and so I can't wait for the day that I do again. But it's been real nice to be in the presence. Of and you. Toby is a really great guest, y'all. Like, they're like, I mean, yes, I cook. I, I've, I've cooked. Like, I made sure I make sure my girl is fed. The Look, the fridge is full. The wine and the liquor is in abundance. It Anything is, just about and everything that she could ever want or need, I made sure we have here. <laughs> but also, like, there was a day where I was working like crazy and she made me some lunch and she made me a, a bagel. And I know that sounds so basic, but y'all know how I am about my everything bagel with my smoked salmon. And it was, <laughs> I was just like, yes, like, yes, like, but yeah, like, I've been, I've been cooking, like, it's been really good. We went for a walk one day and just enjoy like some of the the views that my place has. Um, we have a trail here, and so we went on a walk and got some cardio in. We saw some black men running, girl. We I did. I was like, oh, girl, job. we need to um, be taking some walks every day now, okay? Mm-hmm, because they was cute. No, whoever you are, I don't know. Shout like, out. Maybe I got maybe they'll listen to y'all. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, like, if you're a neighbor or what, but they, I was like, I should have stopped. But I was just, I was so shocked because I'd never see black people in this neighborhood, let alone black men. So I was just like, oh, hey, and they running? And they not running from nobody? They was just running I'm for dead. help. Please, please. Girl, <laughs> they wasn't running from nobody. They was just running for help. I was like, listen, I'm here for all the shit. So that's basically all I have going on. Like we getting closer to the election. So life is getting hectic and 
you know, news cycles are crazy. So I just hope that everybody's prioritizing their peace and their joy and finding things that serve them and walking away from things that don't and know that we are going to talk more about just like an overarching theme of like what to do when life doesn't look like you anticipated it to be because I can imagine for a lot of people right now with everything that we're going through this year 2020 has been nothing but like a long ass light <laughs> from yes. the for me from the first day of 2020 on has been like that for some people it started in March it's been like that since the clock struck midnight and I just hope we're all taking care of ourselves prioritizing ourselves and look like I know it's hard. I know some people are living alone and they can't see their friends and loved ones for the ones who, you know, had the privilege of seeing your friends and loved ones and are privileged to visit, you know, you know what to do social distance before you come take a rapid test. So you, you know, know what your status is before you travel mask ups, hand sanitizer, you know, try not to share too many bodily fluids monitor yourself if you decide to have new sexual partners this is there there is cdc guidance for um you know having new sexual partners in a pandemic i didn't even think we would get this far (laughs) but as it stands this is gonna be our lives for a little while longer just because it's flu season Mm -hmm. I know some of y'all are anti-vaxxers, so you may not believe in getting a flu shot because you think it's a But if you're going to be around people for real, y'all should probably think about that a little bit more. You should get a flu shot. I'm getting mine. I have it on schedule. Get your flu shot because with coronavirus, we do not know what this strain of flu is going to look like. We don't know what the next strain of coronavirus could be if it mutates. I mean, there are some instances where people are saying that they do think it's going to. Um, This second wave, Dr. Fauci told us back in March that the second wave during flu season and fall and when it got got a little cooler was going to be a a tough one. So let's be grownups. A lot of our states that are ran by certain individuals are opening up at a time Mm -hmm. where we should be having a safeguard for what's going to happen in the future. Do not listen to them fuck them we said that in in the other segment they don't know what the fuck is going on listen to me i don't know what the fuck is going on either but i make more sense you know what you need to do for your life and your loved ones think about your loved ones because for you to be out and be mixy and run the risk of giving coronavirus to one of your loved ones who may not have a stronger immune system, that is something very difficult to have to live with should the worst happen to them. So Agreed. let's just be mindful. Let's love each other. Let's let's be considerate of each other and realize that if we do what we can to slow down the curve, a curve that is probably going to get a lot worse with this, you know, flu season, we will be outside before you know it. I promise you. Camille Harris is a counseling psychology doctoral student from Philadelphia. She is currently studying Black women's well-being and experiences of gendered racial microaggressions in higher education. Throughout the course of her clinical training, she's provided mental health services to students, veterans, adults, and children. 
She hopes to spend her career providing clinical supervision, consulting, and developing programs to improve the well-being of adolescent black girls. We're so excited to have her. Camille, welcome to Emotionally Unavailable. I'm so excited to have you on the show as our first guest. Thanks, guys, for having me. We really, before we even start, like, it has been an overall tough week for black women. So just want to, like, give space and just, like, say thank you and we honor you. And we just appreciate you for even coming on the show this week, given all the bullshit that has happened out here in the world. Like, truly. Yeah, it's... You're right. It's it has been a tough week, um, but hoping to you know shed some positivity, you know, despite the things that are going on, you know, and and really just kind of process this however it needs to be processed. Right, and so like, just want to kind of do a pulse before we even dive into what our wind down topic will be. Like, just like Toby, Camille, how are you guys doing? How are you guys feeling? What have you done this week to find some type of joy in the midst of the bullshit? Um, I'm not gonna lie to you. I've been struggling with that, especially because this has been just a heavy week in general. Like, content wise, I've been having a lot of issues. Um making sure I take time for myself. So it's a work in progress and I know I'm not alone in that. So I wanted to voice that because sometimes you don't always find time to take care of yourself or do the things that you want to do. And this was one of those weeks for me, Um, but I'm going to get back on it. What about you, Camille? I don't know. Um, I feel like I've just been compartmentalizing a lot of different things. Um, being a student at this time, teaching right now, having my hands in so many different things, um, seeing clients regularly. Um, I don't know. I don't think I've, I've made sure that I include some self-care, but I also just, at the end of the day, just have to get so many things done on a day-to-day basis. I don't really think about it. Um, I don't know. I think getting things done has become my self-care. Like getting things done makes me feel good. Um, In the beginning of COVID, I was super unproductive. I was just like laying around all the time. And I just like, I was just, I was cooking different things. And that was my way of like having fun. But I wasn't actually like doing anything, even though I had hella responsibilities. I was just like not doing them. So lately I've just been happy to be more productive I feel that I'm trying to find that um (laughs) that balance and like yeah the things that I get finished I feel very accomplished I'm not even gonna lie I've been struggling all in all like I'm glad I would say like how I found joy this week I'm glad that Toby is like here in live living color (laughs) this week I think that like her visit couldn't have been any timelier given everything that happened this week but also like for me it's just difficult because so much of the news cycle directly impacts what I do in the day-to-day at work so I feel like I can't escape it and so like I think how I am trying to at least seek joy this weekend is like being completely ignorant to any and all news and not looking at anything related to like content and trying to stay off of Facebook and Instagram as much as possible just 
stay off of social media minus you know my occasional twitter rant that i might have because i'm weird like that but i just i need a break it's been a lot yes ray charles to the bullshit exactly i will echo that because i've also found that I don't think I really actually thought about it, but I think as I've become become more productive on the day-to-day, I spend less time on social. Yeah. Pop in every once in a yeah. while, here and there, maybe a couple times a day, but significantly less than like, you know, months ago. Same. I, I, yeah, that really does, it really does help. But I'll say, like, I think that I'm struggling with that, like, not being, I I feel the same way as you, Camille, but at the same time, I'm like, dang, like, what am I missing out on? Because yep, same. I, I feel have that a too. bunch same. of people who are, like, spread out, you know, across the country, um, across the world even, and I'm like, how do I still stay connected? I think one of the things that helped me, um, and shout out to one of my colleagues from grad school, like, we just got on the phone and talked for a little bit. And then I had the same experience with another one of my colleagues like a few days ago. And it's a little bit different from like getting on Zoom and all I have so many Zoom calls throughout the day. It's ridiculous. But like that kind of like changed my perspective a little bit. And I was like, dang, maybe I should like call more people and not just rely on, you know, social media or the other things that we supposedly you know connect us to other people kind of change my perspective a little bit I think I just need to like be like some of my colleagues and just like completely go ghost on social for a while because it's weird it's just very weird for me because like when you work for the actual app and you like are on it but then you also have all of your work surrounding it and what the hell is going on on it it's difficult just to find balance and so now especially like during COVID and just this whole shut-in I'm finding that my work is meshing heavily with my life in a way that I find is not helpful for me so um, I think that I try to just like go in on Twitter and see like what's going on up until I see some ignorant shit and then I just politely bow out because y'all know Twitter. Twitter is weird. <laughs> it's a Twitter weird is place. Wild. <laughs> yeah. I think that it's okay to feel like you're missing something and wanting to be knowledgeable about what's going on around you. But I also feel like it's also your responsibility to yourself to recognize when it's not serving you in a purposeful way. That's true. Yeah, that's also true. Like, is it serving you? Like, and I think lately I can say that my timelines haven't been. And like, I find myself more frustrated and angry than I do like laughing. So I think that's Mm -hmm. why I've been at a point where I'm just trying to bow out it's like between all of the weird takes and then you know all of the black men that are in like a celebrity death match to the end to determine the coon of the year I just can't between it like it's too much like and I'm prioritizing my peace girl because that ain't it (laughs) agreed so before I wind down this week We want to talk about post-grad depression. So 
the question overall and overarching for this topic is what do you do when life isn't what you anticipated it to be and so like I just want to put a few caveats out there and then Camille you can keep me true because you got your degree and you know you know this more than I do (laughs) um so from what the from what we saw graduation depression is not an official diagnosis but it's just a common feeling used to describe extreme sadness stress impaired functioning um, that new graduates experience after they leave the world they created in college. Um, And then um, basically from what I saw, a lot of recent research um, suggests that millennials actually have like the highest rates of depression and anxiety of any generation with job concerns being like the highest on the list of those worries. So Mm -hmm. um, wanted to just like open it up And the first question I want us to talk about before we like go into like more of the mental health aspect as you are a mental health professional, I want to talk about us. So what was your experience post-grad? And so I'm going to have you answer first and then Toby, you can chime in as well. Um, Post-grad was um, really difficult. Um, So I don't, I always knew that I wanted to go to grad school. You know, I knew that I wanted to become a psychologist. I knew that eventually I wanted to do these things, but I never had like an organized plan for how that was going to happen. And so when, after I finished that, after I graduated from A&T, I had to move back home. Um, I took a year off and it was awful like it i mean it was fun it, it got fun later but the first like 8 months of that it was just awful it was just awful i couldn't find a job um me and my mom we have really we are great together when we are separate <laughs> yes we are yes we are I feel we connect you. yeah we connect our at our best when we're distant you know so it and it was a very um like um it was a significant change for both of us. I had gone from living on my own for the past 4 years to having to move back in with my mom. So she still got these crazy rules. <laughs> She's, you know, and I'm just like, okay, this is not going to work like I'm used to living on my own doing my own thing. You know, this that and the third. So yeah, it it was just it was just a lot. I was um what did I do? I did a lot of like odd jobs. I, I caught a lot of temp agencies and did like that type of work for a little bit. Um, a lot of administrative stuff, but, and it was okay. Like, I mean, it wasn't like my mom made me pay rent or anything, but it was just like, <laughs> it sucked. <laughs> it was just, it sucked a lot. Um, and a lot of a lot of people don't have that experience, especially people who there's a lot of people who go from A and T and they have jobs immediately when they come out. So I'm seeing all of my peers, you know, doing all these great things, people buying houses, people, you know, talking about their new job, new jobs that they got, you know, and it was just really hard. It was it was really hard. I, I compared like what I was experiencing to what everyone else, everyone's success, you know was making me just feel really bad um, for a while, but I just had to get over it, but it sucked. Yeah, comparison will be, (laughs) comparison is a slow death sometimes. Um, For me, I, so I graduated early 
and I ended up leaving school uh, in December of the year that I was supposed to walk, or like the year before I was supposed to walk, and so I didn't really, like all of my friends were still in school, and (laughs) I moved back home, similar to you, Camille, um, and my mom and dad had already started making moves to move out to California, so I was in North Carolina, and it was fine um, for the most part, but I still felt stuck because I had to move back to my hometown. And Raleigh is not a small town, but it's definitely mm-hmm. not like a huge city. Mm-hmm. And moving from Atlanta <laughs> is mm-hmm. a completely different, not maybe not completely, but it's different. And I was like, damn, I feel like a failure. And I just got my degree. Like... <laughs> It was in hindsight, you know, in hindsight, right. In (laughs) hindsight, I'm sitting here like, girl, like you was living the life like rent free, all of that. But I still felt like a failure um, just because, yeah, like it was either I was looking at people who had already graduated, like I had a few friends who had graduated the year before. And so they were you know, out on the job and everything. And then I had people who are living, having the time of their life in college. And I was like, damn, why did I leave early? (laughs) Um, So I jumped the gun and ended up getting a job that year and moved across the country to Seattle. Um, And we've talked about, me and Nika have talked about that before. And so that, um, that is a whole nother story. But I will say that that had me in a different type of post-grad depression because I moved out to Seattle and didn't have no friends, no fam, barely any family. I had like a cousin who lived across the water. Um, and I just didn't know what to do with myself. And I was at a new job and I was in a city that was not very, it was like, you know, 7% black people. And most of the black people did not live in this part of town that I was in. And so just walking down the street, going from Atlanta HBCU like AUC culture which is like everybody is black I didn't see white people for a good year (laughs) at least um and going from that to Seattle is just like a little heartbreaking where it was like at least three weeks when I had moved into the city before I saw another black person on the street regardless of like who I saw I didn't see no black people in my office building so that was rough. And I had to force myself to get out the house. Um, and even then it was a little rough trying to make friends with people because Seattle is a whole other culture, but that's, yeah. I would say for me, I felt post-grad depression retroactively maybe. So like, okay. So Camille, like you spoke about some of the Aggies who had a job after graduation and moved. So I was that girl, right? So I had a job lined up after graduation. So I graduated on Saturday and 10 days later, I had to relocate from Greensboro to Seattle and start my new big girl job. And I just felt in that moment that everything was super rushed and I didn't have much time to even process the fact that I just walked across the stage and had this like huge moment that I was transitioning out of. Like, you know, some people have the summer to kind of just bullshit around and do their thing, but I didn't and I couldn't negotiate my start date. 
So it's like I'm moving to Seattle. Fortunately, I interned out there before. So I already had like friends who were interns that converted to full time that were black. So that was an like an amazing thing to have. Mm -hmm. But once I got there and I started my role, what I I was told I was going to be doing was not what I was doing Mm. like I often found in the workplace I was given like menial tasks I was given things that you know didn't serve me I was super frustrated and so I will say like the first eight months I was fine and then out of nowhere like I just felt myself super frustrated couldn't get out of bed like dreading it comparing myself to a lot of my friends because a lot of my friends weren't in supply chain they were in engineering they had these cool jobs they worked Mm -hmm. in tech Um, Mm -hmm. they had flexibility they were able to work on cool projects that served them and I didn't have any of that I was just stuck in a rotational program doing some tasks that I didn't even feel served me I didn't feel like I even needed a degree to do it and then you know there was instances in the workplace where I would speak out and like essentially told like you should just be lucky to be here and so I would say like my first year Mm -hmm. out of undergrad was tough if you add on a layer to the fact that I was also in a rotational program and I change roles and locations every four months, like within the greater Puget Sound area, so that's Washington and Oregon, it was a lot of change, like constantly. So like f- for four months, I'll be in Seattle. The next four months, I'll be in Everett. That's almost an hour away and my commute will be two hours a day, you know, and then, what? you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then four months later, they were like, oh, instead of you taking the rotation, you know, closest to your house, you actually have to move to Portland. Mm, So I had to move to Portland. Exactly. I had to move to Portland for four months. When I went there, I was terrified because I didn't know anyone. Mm -hmm. But I ended up meeting the Aggie um, and she had my back like that whole time I was there. She was at Nike. Shout out to you, Tracy. She had my back the whole time. Like I she invited me to stuff. She gave me a sense of community. And just like she was like, look, ain't no black people here. So I got you. Mm -hmm. Had it not been for her, I would have been like literally spiraling in a state Mm -hmm. of depression just from all the moves, having to be somewhere by yourself. And then on top of all of that, Toby didn't mention it, but within the Puget Sound slash Pacific Northwest, the weather during certain Mm -hmm. periods can be terrible. So you're not seeing Mm. the sun for days. So I didn't even know what seasonal depression was. I think, yeah, like your girl was just depressed. She had the seasonal depression. She had the post-grad depression. I found myself just sad and stressed thinking like this is not at all what I thought my life would be this is terrible can I just go back to school or grad school can I like I was over here trying to figure out how to like rewind time so I can just go back to like my senior year doing bullshit in the union like I just really wanted to go back so I will say like I resonate with that during that process, I eventually, like after a few years, um, made a transition to another role at another company. And I will say it got a little bit better because I began doing work that served me or that I had an interest in at that time. Um, but I really, really struggled. And so like, I didn't even know what to call it, didn't know how to even like bring it up to friends which leads me to my next question for you guys like why don't we talk about post-grad depression more in our circles 
I think everybody wants to have a success story. Everybody wants to have something to be proud of. Everybody wants to give people a reason to celebrate. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to have good things to share. Like, I think there's a lot of shame that prevents people from being honest about it. Hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. I feel like there is, I mean, especially with social media and the toll that it's taken, I guess, on the way we show our livelihoods, a lot of the things that we see, we're kind of almost making, to me, we're almost making up stories, um, like, within our own minds about how people are living. So, like, I'll see a lot of my peers who, like, be on yachts and maybe going to Tulum <laughs> mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Um, and I'll find myself, because I, you know, before the pandemic and everything, I was traveling quite a bit myself. And so, but even then, I would like, even if I had my cute little picture and caption or whatever, I would still in my mind be like, oh my gosh, like, how are these people affording to go on these trips and stuff? Not even like <laughs> being self-aware about myself and the things that, you know, I'm able to do as well. But that's the thing. Like, we don't talk about, you know, what we're going through on social media. What do they call it? There's, like, a specific uh, phrase that people call. It's, like, the highlight reel. Yeah. Your social media is a highlight reel of what your life is. So, like, people don't post. Being vulnerable on social media is not a thing. I mean, you have the girls that do it, but I mean, how many times have either me or someone else laughed at someone for crying on social media or for like opening up and being like, girl, like nobody asked you for this information? Like, I think. Yeah, and I think even, even, I I think it's even, vulnerability is marketable. Mm -hmm. Um, If you can do it right. You can if you can find a way to do it right, then that's good. You know what I mean? That's good branding now. Everybody wants to be a part of that as well. Mm-hmm. How do I how do I be vulnerable enough for people to relate to me without giving them too much information? Mm-hmm. And usually, when people are being vulnerable, from what I've seen, and if you do it in the quote unquote right way, like a lot of it is when they're already back on top. Yep, exactly, 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 exactly. Look at me now. Right. I went through the hell. I went through the fire and I rose like a phoenix from the ashes and you can too. Shout out to, and then they they name drop maybe like a couple people that like Help them through. Help them through the struggle. And I think that's fine because I love seeing people on the come up, but also I'm like, damn, like, wouldn't it be so powerful or at least like so interesting to me and like so helpful to me if you Mm -hmm. shared what you was going through while you was going through it because it's like how did you get to that point yeah for me I wonder that a lot about some people yep I think we often romanticize that struggle like oh like I went through this and I had to check myself because I had a post like that when 
I got my new job. My, <laughs> I had a post like that, and it's archived, girl, so none of y'all can find it. But I, I had to archive it because I just didn't like it. I'm like, yo, I'm so tired of this whole, like, rags to riches, started from the bottom, now I'm here, like, story that I have to, that people share. I'm not adding to that narrative look. Like, I just didn't like the message that it sent. Yes, life sucks. Life is, life is like, a cycle. Things, things happen, you know, like... I just didn't want to add to like all of these crappy things happen, but I made it, especially during graduation season. I just feel like that's when we see it the most. It's never like, Hey, I just had this success. Let's celebrate. It's always like, Oh my gosh, I cut off my right arm. I'm hopping. Like I lost it all and then got it back and then lost it all again. But I'll get the Millie rock across the stage. Like, no, like I I really just am so tired of like romanticizing the struggle. I understand that's a thing, but I think from just from my mental health, I just can't do it no more. I'm divested from it. And also, I think that it impacts post-grad depression even more, even for yourself, even if you're the person that's posting that, you know, rags to riches story. I think it, 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 assumes that there is an end goal or like you've already reached the end goal and it's like Mm -hmm. damn how do you move forward from that there's always something that you can top for yourself you know like your your um greatest competition is yourself type of thing right so Mm -hmm. I wonder like how people are feeling when they do post those rags to riches stories on social media and then I know for me like the reason I don't post those is because like I don't feel like my I've reached a destination. I don't know if I'll ever reach a destination. And I wonder how people are feeling when they do post a story like that. And it's like, damn, how do I even top that? Like, right. Because that's how I felt. Like, I posted my, my a post was essentially about my dream job. But it's like, all right, I'm 28. I have my dream job. What now? Because mm-hmm. there's literally nothing else on the list. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and I talked about this in a previous episode, the things that I laid out, my five-year plan, 10-year plan, everything has been pushed forward and happened a lot sooner for me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm at that point where I'm like, well, what now? You said you wanted all these things. Like I actually pulled out my little journal. Like I was about to do a poetry reading last night and I read out like some things that I had listed over two years ago to Toby about like what it is that I wanted to do and all of it happened, which was scary, but also there was nothing else listed on there. And I told her, well, what the hell now? <laughs> like, like, what do you do now? Like this is, this goes back to when life isn't what you anticipated it to be. Like I anticipated like shit to happen a lot further along the line than Mm-hmm. it would have there's also moments where I anticipated being at companies being in cities being with people being friends with people longer than than I than it actually played out so it's like how do you build that that resiliency for when life doesn't look how you want it to look because I I'm, mm-hmm. almost felt like my imposter syndrome was exacerbated because life just didn't look like what I thought it would. I wasn't doing any of the things that I thought I was going to do. Like, I I think I wrote a blog post on my 25th birthday where I was talking about the 25 things that I learned by 25. And one caveat is that by 25, I just knew I was going to, 
you know, be an engineer, living in Atlanta, owning my own home, and having a dog. I am not any of those things. Mm. At all. <laughs> and so, I think for me, I even... For some people, what I'm doing may seem like success, but I still struggle because I judge myself based on some of the things that I see from classmates on social media. And I'm like, OK, but I don't own a home. OK, but I'm not doing I'm not doing this instead yeah. of just saying, like, look, you are happy, you are healthy. Life doesn't happen like we anticipate it to be just be glad that you have another day to live the fight and live out the life that you know you you dreamed but also I think we also have to give us permission to change our minds because at any given moment that plan that you're working on could change and you could want to do something else and that's okay but I think a lot of people stick to plans because they've already shared it with other people and they're scared that people are going to hold their feet to the fire or come at them like, but I thought you said you wanted to do X, Y, Z. Yeah. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. That's a word. <laughs> Give yourself when you like tell Because people love post-grad. I remember this so clearly. Yeah. And maybe because it wasn't that long ago. But I remember people saying so much after I graduated. Even after I graduated in December, I was like, dang, can I even walk the stage? They were like, so what are your plans? What's next? Where are you going? What are you doing? I'm like, whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> whoa, you, holiday, whoa, not, holiday. If you're not giving me a job, bro, like, I don't want to speak about it. <laughs> I really like, don't. Right. Like, I have it, no idea. <laughs> it's always what's next. Like, I'm six months into my new role, and my manager was like, well, what's next? I'm like, girl, ain't nothing next right now. I'm still trying to get my footing. Like, <laughs> Let me get my feet wet right. first. And a lot of it is that you don't know. Um, you don't know what path you're going to take, even if you are like on a pre-med track or a pre-law track. If you have, if you got, if you went to college. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that I definitely realized like quickly. Because I was like an international studies major, so... <laughs> You were like, there are people from my program who you became a diplomat or you went to the Peace Corps. And I was like, I have no desire really? to do either of those things. Yeah. And I didn't want to go to the Peace Corps. I ain't going to hold you. I did. I did want to yeah, do that. Yeah, I did too. It looked fun. I did want to do that. Yeah, I did want to do that. But I, I really like, just I couldn't imagine. Like, I really, I just had to really, really, really think about practically, could I actually do that? Like, mm-hmm. right what could like you know what I mean like for real for real (laughs) I think the um living overseas for that amount of years was daunting to me I'm not gonna lie I love my friends who have done it though they were living their best lives before the pandemic happened but I don't know if I'm about that life (laughs) but yeah there was a lot of um I don't know there was a lot of people who were kind of like just constantly pressing me um and that's why I don't believe in pressing even high school kids they will press high school kids about what's gonna happen what's next for them what are they gonna do next um even throughout school people was asking me what's after college and I'm just like bro like I don't know (laughs) did you know what you were doing after college we ask children what they want to be when they grow up expectations like first of all (laughs) 
<laughs> They're children. Let them be children. Like I talked about, like I got that question heavily as a kid. And so like I was at, I was eight looking at colleges and trying to beg my mom to take me on college tour. And like, we like what, like your eight girl go to the playground, <laughs> you know? So right. I just, I feel like we just have to chill out with that and realize that, look, people don't know what the hell they want to be. Like I, I was doing some reading and found out. You're that, like, judged by what you yeah. want to do in the, the career that you have, or if you just have a job or what's a career versus what's a job, you're judged yes. in society by those things. Those things say things about you. That's how we yes. And especially in a capital your worthiness society, yes mm-hmm. your worthiness is tied to your labor what can you do for me awful <laughs> that is which, awful which is why i hate the question what do you do for a living when you first meet someone so like when toby and i were navigating oh young God. professional circles with people mm-hmm. that we didn't go to undergrad with and didn't have relationships with when we first moved to seattle that's pr- pretty much what happens when you go to a new city you try to find a young black professional so you can have some type of your community we learned real quick that there's a difference between some of them that went to hbcus and some of them that didn't i ain't gonna go into detail because don't try to cancel me but i'm it, i'm gonna just say it <laughs> there's a difference in how it's people do it's real but based on my experience one thing i hated or i would literally walk away from people if the first thing they asked me is what i do for a living like mm-hmm. how about my name how about like how are where you doing I'm today from. where i'm from how i'm doing today like i don't know like bring up some shit about the weather but it's like almost as if like you were going to dictate how the conversation went based on what you knew me to do for a living and, and absolutely listen and i have an anecdote about that because in my time in Seattle, I tra- I transitioned from working at a tech company to working in nonprofit, mm-hmm. and the way that oh, that's people a, that's a transition me, for real, girl, yeah. yes, the yeah. way that people spoke to me when I made that transition to nonprofit was completely different. Mm-hmm. And I it watched was it so clear that to a certain extent, I'm not even gonna lie to you, I stayed in my house for a little bit. Mm-hmm. because I didn't want to have to deal with I mean like everybody oh, most of the black professionals that are um, that moved to Seattle are working at tech companies yep they don't they don't move to Seattle to work at you know a nonprofit or just any old thing you know so for me that was such like a it was almost ostracizing a little bit Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to talk about like post-grad depression and the things that kind of keep you from feeling like you've made it quote unquote like mm-hmm. that was something I was like I don't want to answer any questions <laughs> because y'all are gonna make it into a thing you're gonna think like the the most common answer I got and I think like any nonprofit professional can relate to this the most common thing I thought was like good for you oh my gosh I could never do that yeah <laughs> I was like, I don't have to be out. I really don't. Mm-mm. I feel like we stayed in for a while. We was yes. just like, let's not go to the thing. Let's just have things. Because I'm, I'm already anti. No more. Right. I'm already anti. So when Toby was in her anti mood, I was like, yes, more people to be anti-establishment with me. I don't fuck with these people like that. <laughs> but it was just tough because even as a friend, right, because when you made your transition, I still worked at the company. I had more visibility to 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 the rationale behind 
why you left. And I felt like you were your happiest self in nonprofit. So I was just happy to see. Yeah. And I was just happy to see you be comfortable in your job and love what you do and have like passion behind what it is that you were doing. And so I felt like that was an accomplishment because you were happy and you were chasing something that you believed in. And I saw it. I saw your glow. Whereas when you were at, you know, that which will not be named, you were miserable, miserable. I mean, we would, I feel like our first meeting was commiserating at how miserable we all were (laughs) there um, over wine. And so like, I just feel like I didn't like how people would say like, well, why? Like, first of all, people don't owe you an explanation for changing their mind. Right. It's okay to walk away right. from situations that don't serve you. It may look crazy to some, but in the end, the only person that matters and the only happiness that matters is yours. And so, like, for me, I think I learned that lesson from you and that sparked the catalyst for me to walk away. And I got the same shit. So when I left, people were like, why would you leave? Why would you leave? But the gag is when I left, I was offered more money to leave. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't this big tech tech company on resume, but the company that poached me paid me more. That's the word. So let's talk about looks. Don't be so hooked on a name so you can share it with other people and feel and feel like you got it because most of the time you don't actually have it and you're just doing it for the gram. You're doing it for the notoriety. You're not even doing mm-hmm. it with the intention of being matched with a purpose or doing work that serves you. A lot of people are just, a lot of people are at places and are with people based on how it looks to others, not because that's actually where they want to be. Mm. I know I said a lot, but yeah. I so I think, let it sink in. <laughs> like, y'all gotta, you know, so one thing I wanna go back to. For you guys, like, what do you think are some of the signs that lead you to believe that you could be like on the precipice of going through post grad depression? Because some, for some people, it'll kick in right after they walk across the stage, and some people it'll kick in retroactively, like like me, a couple years later when you realize, hey, nah, this ain't what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. So, like, what were some of the signs that you guys noticed with you and Camille, even from, like, a a professional lens? Like, what are some of the signs overall that you think we should look out for when we're making a a huge life transition and life doesn't look like what we thought it would be? I think recognizing any sort of fatigue, um, losing motivation, like, not really feeling motivated in general, um, but particularly in areas in, of, of your life that were really important to you. So like if we're talking about work transitions, you know, your job, your career, the things that you're working on, the projects that you're involved with, you know, these are things that you typically enjoy, but you find yourself not really being interested in them anymore. You know, I think it's also t- important to keep as much social support, strong social support around you. So if you start to disconnect from others, I think that's a sign that um, you need to lean in a little bit more because it really does make a difference. Yeah, definitely. When I was working at my first job, I noticed the fatigue a lot, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, like what what was mentioned earlier, I think seasonal depression like compounds that a little bit. But there were days that 
like I was taking that, you know, sick days, work from home days, I was taking them heavy. And that might have been part of the reason, uh, part of the reason was that I didn't like my job, but part of it was definitely like, dang, I don't even know if this is where I'm supposed to be, <laughs> type of thing, which can be rough. I would agree with that 100%, especially the the fatigue part. Your girl was just tired, always tired. You know, like, I work hard. Toby can attest she witnessed my work and, my work and flow uh, while she's been here. But the thing about it is I can tell the difference in where I am now and where I was then. I still get up, no matter how tired I am. I've said I wanted to take a, a day off a couple of days in a row. But I still get up because I'm working amongst a mission that I feel passionate and strong about. Whereas back then I was just doing tasks. I, I didn't have a purpose. I didn't have any type of thing I was working for other than just so I could pay Sally Mae and them. That was it. I was just working so I could pay Sally Mae and them. Um, but I think <laughs> one thing that I always pay attention to is where does your mind go when it wanders? Like if I'm in a situation and if my mind wanders and it's never where I am or I have anything to do with where I am, then I need to examine like how often that's happening. And if it's essentially my body and my mind telling me that maybe you aren't where you need to be. And that hasn't happened a lot, but the times that it happened I had to examine and realize, okay, you might need to begin the process of making a transition or making an exit because you, you're not being served. You're not serving. You're just here. And the one thing I don't want to do in my life is just be here. Like once you, once you get what you got and it no longer serves you, I believe that it's like your duty to walk away just so you won't become that, you know, you just won't become that weird, bitter person who's mad because they stayed somewhere that they really don't want to be. I don't want to be that person. I've come across that person several times in life, in love, and in career, and I just refuse to be that girl. And so I think for me, that's like the main thing that would be a sign for me because that will begin the process of spiraling into depression for me. And so I would say that's what I look at. When you say mind wandering, where are you where's your mind going? What are you talking about? So like let for example, if I'm at work, like I'll use this as an example, my first job, I will be like working on tasks, doing, you know, what I'm supposed to do in my day to day, but I knew I wasn't happy. I knew I wasn't passionate about my work. And every time I was working, my daydreams went somewhere else doing something totally different in comparison to like what my job was. I was working in, in like finance or accounting. My degree is not in finance or accounting, but due to that rotational program, that's where I was. When my mind wandered about like work that interests me, it was more into program management and strategy. I knew that I didn't want to be where I was. When I thought about work, when I thought about next steps, when I daydreamed about like, you know, where I could see myself or what I wanted, it was never where I, I was in accounting and finance. So I had to take a look, have conversations with like my mentors in my career space to figure out like what would make sense to transition into that area. 
And also in those conversations, it helped me like have a broader conversation about if I'm not where I want to be, what do I need to do in my current role to set me up for my next thing that might not be what I want to do next, but will get me closer to where I want to be. So when I say, where does my mind go when, when it wanders, it, it basically just means like, what am I thinking about in terms of passion, in terms of career? That's if it's not where I'm at right now, I can tell you when my mind wanders, it's directly aligned with what I'm doing. Like I'm not thinking about, where I could go next I'm not thinking about like any other role but the role I'm in because I'm actually content like I'm actually where I want to be that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah so you kind of just spoke a little bit about it but I was wondering um from y'all like how do you how do you think you moved through that first time you kind of noticed or I guess looking back on it if you didn't notice in the moment how did you move through like post-grad depression and what did that really look like in terms of action in terms of mindset change or anything like that um for me it was definitely the priority for me was making sure that I understood that I wasn't living life to compare my life to everybody else. And I also wasn't here to, um, you know, compare my success or failures to other people's successes and failures. Like that just wasn't what life was about. Like, and that wasn't the point of being on this planet, being on this earth, being a human being. It just, it wasn't helpful for me. It wasn't doing anything for me. Um, It got to a point where it wasn't like motivating me in any way. Um, it was just making me feel like I wasn't doing enough and, um, I just had to really be intentional about like, okay, well, these are the things I need to do to, I know what career track I want to be on. I know where I see myself in X amount of years. So how do I figure out how to get there? Okay, cool. Well, I'm doing what I need to do to get there. So it is what it is. Other people are doing what they need, what they need to do to get where they want to go. And that's fine. Like, but how they get there and how I get where I'm going, it they have nothing to do with each other. Those things are totally independent. Yeah. That's very similar to how I looked at it. Like I've it just took me time to realize that, hey, like number one, what I'm seeing is a highlight reel. Just because I don't get to it's not a contest if I don't get to where I want to be in the same time that they get to where they are that doesn't mean I'm not worthy that doesn't mean I'm not you know smart that doesn't mean I'm not capable it just means it's not my time right and so I think that and also just like having mentors that were actually like old enough to be a mentor in their in their career like I realized that like having people who I consider like early like early career like less than 10 years just didn't serve me like having mentors that have been in the game 10 plus years is what served me like I had a really great mentor in my first career at my first company and like when I was going through like my bouts of post-grad depression like he would share some of the tasks that he worked on or some of the jobs he took to let me know like hey it sucks it's part of the process you know just stick to it 
you know, I promise you it'll work out and it's time. Like all of these things will come together in the end for a reason. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to say he was right there because some of those tasks and some of those, um, I guess, areas that I deemed unimportant, they ended up teaching me lessons that I use today. They ended up teaching me skills that I use today. So from a career aspect of like, when you're looking at what you're doing, I would say shift your mind and not think about the actual task, but think about what skills, whether it's a soft skill or a hard skill that you're learning from it. And every time I did that, it just allowed me to be more appreciative of what I'm doing and realize that, okay, maybe not focus on the fact that I hate this, but focus on what is it teaching me so that when it's time for me to move on to my next level, I don't bring some of that anger or bitterness with me to my next level. That's what helped yeah. me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely more of an observant person. And so like understanding where um where people were coming from and how they you know got to where they were and that doesn't necessarily mean that they were like they had already reached their goal or anything like I mentioned earlier like to me I'm so interested in like what the journey looks like while people are on it mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's helped me so the much especially don't share that. they no. don't and I hate that though because I'm like you could be teaching somebody somebody could latch on to that you know right. and really learn from that or even see that reflection in themselves or right. the things that you're going through or you know kind of take a step back and say oh well that person went through that maybe like you know I want to you know do something similar to what they're on the journey of yeah. doing I don't know there's so many different yeah. tidbits and, and to take away from hard work, at the end of the day we all know that hard work always pays off mm -hmm. hard, yeah. work pay, hard work pays off and it's also I think people trying to people every and also we know that it's all about who you know so you can be at the right place at just at the right time come across the right person and maybe you don't want to give that person up maybe you don't want to talk about that opportunity yeah maybe you don't want to tell people that like people are secretive about weird things that's that individualism for real. Cause the, and, it is. And, it and is. The, you the, want people to be successful, but not so successful that it gets in the way of you being successful. Yes. And the notion that we don't have enough resources to go around. Yep. Yep. Or that yep. there's not enough space, especially yep. for black folk, which I hate. Yep. I'm like, y'all, we which can why, all do this. Which is, yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yep. Mm -hmm. Y'all said a word. <laughs> Y'all said a word. It's room for all of us to win. Like it is. I mean, look at all the derivatives we see of products out here. Thank you. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's room for Lyft. all of us. <laughs> Same mm -hmm. shit. Like, you know, like it's it's room for all of us to win, but I just feel like we would be a lot better as a society if we were just open to sharing more of that vulnerability. Like what it feels like to go through the process and mm -hmm. honestly like sometimes people people like to know like to be in the trenches with you and to go through the process with you they learn you learn I I just feel like a lot of the stories in the end when people be like oh I went through this but now I'm here I feel like they missed some steps out 
or they take some steps out when they're sharing. And I'm like, no, but I really mm-hmm. want to know like how you felt, how you stayed mentally fit and mentally strong. What what were you thinking when you were sitting in your feelings and you weren't where you wanted to be? Like, I actually want to know more about that because like, I, that's an area I struggle with sometimes when I'm everything not. Is a, every, we want everything to look good. We're, right. We want everything to look good. I remember I was watching, um, I was watching a YouTube video, one of those makeup tutorials, and somebody like they were doing something, some technique, but they messed it up. So they were like, "Oh, um, well, let me. I'm gonna add how I fixed it, whatever, whatever." And someone put in the comments like, "You know, I never really thought about it, but like, I really appreciate you showing us like how you fix the error instead of just like editing it out, and then all of a sudden it's fixed and you look great, like." And and niggas don't know what happened, like <laughs> between you being like, "Oops, my bad," like <laughs> I messed this up. But here's the end result, like, uh, <laughs> okay. And like no, it just, real. yeah, like nobody wants to share that. Nobody wants to not look good. Like it's just everything's yeah, about looking that good. The thought of perfectionism, which impacts people in different ways because for me I was like damn I need to be perfect I need to be on top of my shit and it's like no sometimes (laughs) you're gonna make mistakes um and you need to be able to sit with that and understand that that's what builds you up to be better yeah and nobody wants anybody to be like laughing at them either like right because you know what I mean like like I said you have to think about how vulnerable can I be? How much can I actually share um, before it gets to a point where people are like embarrassed for me? (laughs) Yeah. You know? That's true. And I don't know what we do with that. Yeah. In a perfect world, I feel like we would have enough self-awareness to understand where that line is, but we're not. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. So overall, I think if there's one thing that you want people to take away from this conversation about post-grad depression, what would it be? Um, I would say that it's real um, and it's not uncommon. Um, I would say that it, like many things, doesn't last forever. Um, And just always keep moving forward. Yeah, I would say everybody has a moment in life. Like, I don't think there's anybody who doesn't have a moment where it's kind of uncharted territory in your perspective. So for me... That's like something important to really sit with and understand that things aren't always going to look the way that you want them to or that you think they should. Um, And even with that word should like get with get rid of the should. (laughs) That was like one of the first things I learned in Mm -hmm. therapy when I started going um, shortly after I graduated, because there is a lot of things I was imposing on myself. And they were unnecessary because you just have to Mm -hmm. you just have to go through your personal journey the way that you're destined to go through it. And there's not really a lot that you can 
there's a lot that you can set up for yourself and see through but at the end of the day like you need to realize that there are some things that you just gotta leave to fate to god whatever your belief is um you gotta sit with that yeah i agree knowing when to draw the line between what you can do and what's out of your hands is really important yeah that's a word i would say the one thing that i would want people to walk away from with is that it's okay to change your mind like you don't have to stick with this plan or this life that you told people about at 18 like yeah. life changes For real. there are so many celebrities who are actors who didn't pick up a camera until they were in their late 30s or didn't even pick up the craft until they were in their 40s and 50s yeah. I believe I read that Morgan Freeman didn't even start his quest in acting until it was, he was that was like his second act of life like we have multiple acts within our life and we can change our mind at any given time you don't owe anyone any explanation for changing your mind about anything yeah it's your life and it's your happiness that's on the line and I think for me if it ever comes between my happiness and where I need to be to feel whole and to feel you know like my best self and feel passionate I'm gonna always prioritize that over the feelings or opinions of somebody somewhere who don't know me and is likely not happy in their life or their situation either so that would be like my word on that. <laughs> mm. Yes. So we're going to move into our poor play topic. This uh, young man <laughs> got on social media and decided that he wanted to list all of his, um, all of the things that he was hopeful that his wife would have whenever he mm. finds her. Um, so I'm going to read the post and I just want, I would like to hear y'all's thoughts on it. So apostle wise preach says, I'm looking for a Proverbs 31 wife who must meet this criteria. Hard eyes, hard eyes, hard eyes, hard eyes. (laughs) The woman must be Christ centered. Absolutely gorgeous. Can sing light skin with a stunning smile between ages 22 and 27. Absolutely no kids. Loves Jesus more than anything else. Can cook and is tidy. An intercessor. Is between five feet and five foot four. Never been married before. Submitted and a great listener. Hospitable and loves Jesus Christ more than me. If that is you, submit your application for review and someone will revert at earliest convenience. Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee, and the light shall shine upon thy ways. Job twenty two twenty eight. Do you have what it takes to marry a prophet? Hmm. So before we go <laughs> deep into this, like the general topic here that I want to discuss is the list. This also came from a girlfriend's episode that Toby and I watched last night. And okay. it it just talks about like the list and just unrealistic standards that people have in dating. And, you know, I also pulled out my list last night and walked Toby through what was on it. And she told me to condense it. 
Um, <laughs> so I just want to like talk more about the list. I'm, I will say I am kind of shady. So when I sent it to Toby, I made sure to actually send a photo of his face and how he looked <laughs> just because that's just who I am as a person. I often find that a lot of people have these expectations, but they don't read the room or the mirror um, in order to like have these expectations. So yeah, let's talk about it. <clears throat> what are our, what are our thoughts? I think that thinking? I'm always <laughs> I'm always a little hesitant, which is a little backwards, but I'm gonna just say it. I'm always a little hesitant when a man is like, "I want a Proverbs 31 woman," because I'm like, "Well, what does that really mean? Like, what in your mind, what does that really look like?" Um, I'm a little weary when men bring up that Bible verse, and especially if they do not have uh, the perspective of whatever the adjacent man version of that is. I'm not a Bible scholar, so I can't bring up a verse for you that talks about men. I'm not sure if they do in the Bible. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm just wary of it, and I'm just like, what is that? really look like to you sir and also just on the list in general I have a list as well but for me that's more so of the things more so non-negotiables and not necessarily the thing that I had an issue with this list was that multiple times he talked about what the person looks like um what the person should look like and also the things that they should do for him and not necessarily the things that you know they can kind of be together on or be the compliment of and I just think that that's a little um is reaching a little bit and you sent the picture so I was like sir did you think about this before you posted it <laughs> did you look in the mirror like mm, or is this like sheer audacity like if it's one thing they're gonna have is audacity girl <laughs> this is a bizarre <laughs> this is a bizarre situation facebook really has the content like it that's really one does. thing facebook is always gonna have is the content always it's, it's there Charlie. it like, will be there what in god's name There are just so many things wrong here. <laughs> You're like trying to process. <laughs> yes. But lists in general are just, I don't know. They're not good. I don't know. I don't really, I don't really have a type. I don't think I don't really have a list of things. I don't really think like, I don't think I've ever consciously thought about it. Like I, I, I know friends who have been like, I pray for this and this and this and he and he better have this and he better have that. And he better, and I just be on the phone like, this is really important to you. Like, you pray for this list of qualities in a person and like you're com like committed to finding these things. And like, I think I just, I don't know. I, I don't think it's, helpful for me personally to com commit to things like that in a romantic sense when life is so unpredictable That's and I'm not going to 
deny myself joy and happiness because I I wasn't prepared for how it was presented to me. Yeah, that's one of that. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. That making a list that is like uh, non-inclusive of a lot of things definitely limits the way that you can be open to who does show up. I yeah, like that. I mean, I mean, I have my own. Now there are some things I'm not, I'm not, I'm pretty firm, and that's it. I don't do kids. If you got children, God bless you in that 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 parenthood. I will not be a part of that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't date people with kids. I don't. Um, that's it. It just is what it is. <laughs> it just is what it is. They have responsibilities that I can literally cannot relate to. So, and I don't want, and I'm not ready to relate to those responsibilities right now. So. I heard that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like, I'm just not. So, Like, I recognize that. It's not. Yeah. So. But also, I, this makes me think about how everybody, when Sierra and Russell Wilson used, uh, first got together, everybody was like, girl, what is the prayer? What did you pray for? And mm-hmm. she point blank period said, says, I prayed that. God would make me into the woman that would be ready for a man like him. She didn't, well, and to be honest, I don't think she even said that she even mentioned a man. She just said, make me ready and willing to receive this blessing. And I think that that is so poignant, to be honest, especially if you are of the um, Christian faith or, you know, just believe in God in general it's just like you when you're if you're praying for something to happen, a lot of it has to do with you being ready and capable to receive that. Um, and to me, when you're talking about like making a list for people like for for my list, I'm incorporating things that I know I want to be ready for when I get to that point in life. And I don't know when that point in life is going to be and I'm not. I think that I used to be in a rush, but I'm not in a rush anymore to get to that point in life. Only because I know that I still have things to work on within myself and I know I want to be ready so that I can fully enjoy it <laughs> when I, you know, do find that person. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people forget that or are like missing that. I feel like if I were to pray for something in a like romantic sort of sense, it would have to be, I guess, about it would have to be more so like what I would want that, how that, how I would want that love to make me feel how I like, you know, what, what that love would do for me, how that love would improve me as a person, I guess. But I don't think I could see myself like, you know, Oh Lord, you know, please let the next man have a job, Lord, you know, please let him like, I, like, I just can't like see, I just can't see myself like doing that. Like, yeah, I mean, I have more, I have more so a list about things that I'm just absolutely not um, tolerating at all, but I don't have a list of things a person has to have, but I do have a list of things that you absolutely cannot do, characteristics that is just not going to work. And those I'm very firm about. Yeah, I would agree with that totally for me, like... I had a list, but I did like think a lot about it last night and this morning. Like I, I will say, and Toby, you can hold me true to this. The majority of the things that were on my list were, were like more like personality traits, 
things that I I know I would want in a partner in order for me to be successful and also in order for me to feel comfortable pouring into them. Like one thing that I had written down was like, um, you know, willing to teach without being patronizing because I just know me and I know I cannot be with someone who is patronizing or disrespectful because like I I'm petty and I just don't want to activate that petty you know like my absolute no's are like people who are homophobic people who are disrespectful to women people with with children because I'm I'm just not I don't even know if I want children. So if you come to me with children, like I can't relate. And I, I like the freedom of just being able to live my life and to not have to consider, you know, a little person in the, in the matter and their well being right now. Um, so I think I'm learning slowly, but surely that some of the things on my list are like, not the end all be all they're like negotiable they're not things that I absolutely have to have they're things that are just like I would really just like my person to be a nice human decent human being who isn't an asshole but also with list let's say you get everything on that list girl and listeners whoever is listening to this people change every day so if you with someone and they they could be that person. They could they could literally cross out every box on your list, and five years, ten years down the line, be someone that you don't even recognize because people change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to look at yourself and say, like, do I actually love this person enough to be with them in a life partnership where they may not be in the future who I thought they would be. Mm-hmm. Can I handle mm-hmm. that? I think that's something that people need to like examine because they'll fall for someone based on who they are in the present and not realize like, hey, things change. Yes. You know, people, people gain weight, multi- people lose multi-faceted. weight. Yeah, we're not a monolith. Who I am at 28, I would hope I'm not her at 48. <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> right, 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 right. But I think when people think about, you know, romance and relationships, I don't think they think about them really as partnerships. It's still, you know, people don't consider the fact that people change. And sometimes the change works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, You know, I'd be like that, I guess. Um, I feel like I have different views about love, depending on what mood I'm in. Like, (laughs) like, (laughs) Like, it just depends on what mood I'm in. But I think, yeah, I don't think people think about long-term romantic relationships as partnerships per se. Um, They just love somebody and want to be with them. And I don't think they really consider what that'll actually look like. Um, Because life is about growing and changing and you're supposed to adapt after experiences that you've had. So like, that's what's supposed to happen. I agree. I was just talking about that to some with one of my friends the other day about how when people seek out romantic relationships, we don't seek partnership. We just seek somebody to like make us feel good mm-hmm. or somebody to like you know, be our be our ride or die. <laughs> and that's not how that works. Like people have their own lives and it takes a lot to be able to uh 
what's the word make sure that your lives can blend or ebb and flow in different ways with each other and I wish that more people would come into rom- romantic relationships with that notion mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I don't know I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that a lot of us like our first interactions for some of us not all right because not all things are true um we go off of disney and what they taught us love is supposed to look like and i think that a lot of us think about love like you said to your point from the romance part of things but they don't look at it from a friendship or a partnership lens and to realize like hey like there's gonna be days where i don't even like your ass like that's just true there's gonna be days we don't like each other and that's okay like that's perfectly fine it's fine Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's normal and that's how how your regular relationships are with people if you think about the relationships you have with your family you think about the relationships you have with your friends those are the same types of relationships you are building you know people into your lives I don't know why I think this is a long conversation so I'm not gonna harp on it but I don't Mm. know why we look at romantic relationships as this thing that's supposed to be all-encompassing and they're supposed to hold you down no matter what the cost is and they're supposed to you know just be like this perfect human being that was perfectly made for you that's not how that works all the time like people are people and they're gonna do people things they're gonna do human being things And we need to learn to be okay with that and work through that um, in different ways. That's just me, though. (laughs) I mean, I'm a hopeless romantic, so I don't think anything, (laughs) you know, yeah. So, you know, I'm a hopeless romantic. That's That's who I am. It's fine. Like, that's just me as a human. I know that um, but I'm also realistic in that, like, I recognize I'm a hopeless romantic, so I know when I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, but I do have very, um, fairy tale like beliefs about love and thoughts about love. But I also think love is, um, I don't know, it, it's just, I don't think it always has to be totally romantic. I think people forget to to take the romance away from their relationship sometimes and look at the people that they're actually dating and who they're in relationships with like romance aside do you really love this person as a human being do you love what they stand for like I know people in relationships who have very uh, conflicting views about very important things (laughs) and it's like how do you think one day you're gonna have a family or raise children like because you both want children so how are you going to raise them if you have these opposing views about important things you know but I don't know I don't know that's uh, you said a word right there like (laughs) I just feel like We talked about this on a previous episode about the importance of like platonic and romantic intimacy in your life and making sure you build, you create space for both, like equally allowing your platonic relationships to pour into you and like you do your romantic, your romantic one or ones, you know, if you're open. But I just, I don't know. I think one thing I struggle with 
is like I feel like I'm a recovering hopeless romantic. Is like, and I say recovering because I'm realizing that like in the past it's been kind of problematic. <laughs> and like I'm just like okay girl like life ain't a Disney movie it ain't you know a Hallmark (laughs) film that's not what it's supposed to be like at all like it's rough sometimes it's rewarding a lot of times and you just have to be open be flexible and realize that back to like our original overarching point of our discussion is life just isn't always going to look like you thought it was and that includes mm-hmm. your love life as well mm-hmm. true that true that i thought i was ready for a relationship and marriage and shout outs to classmates and line sisters that are in love and and, and you know they have their families but i'm not ready for that at all mm-hmm. i'm not <laughs> I, I i realized that recently because I used to think that 30 was this arbitrary number and the closer that I got to it, like I, I essentially wouldn't be worthy enough to be on, you know, the single market because it would be slim pickings. But I'm at a point where I'm just like, look, like none of that really matters to me. I don't want to be in a relationship based on circumstance. Like I want to be in a relationship with intent <laughs> And I'm not ready. I'm not at that point where I want to consider anyone else in my life or in my feelings and or in my decisions that I make about my life and my next steps right now. And I think that's like the huge, huge. telltale sign that I'm not huge. ready to be in a relationship. Yes. I don't want yes. to consider you. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. People do okay. not think about yes. like that in the practical way, like what that means to be in a relationship like I I just don't under I just don't understand how some people be in relationships and they be saying things like, well yeah you know well blah 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 and I don't really trust them da, da, da. and I'm like okay wait a second like what is this then like you don't trust the person that why are y'all together like this just is annoying why like <laughs> you're gonna just keep having these arguments keep doing these same problems over and over and over and over again I just like one of my absolute no's is just if we're having more conflict than we are harmony in this relationship it's a dub mm. <laughs> that's it <laughs> there's I don't it there's no if ands or buts about it bye like maybe we're just better off as friends but you're not going to bring more conflict more stress into my life I are life is already stressful bro mm-hmm. life is already stressful I don't need you to add to that. If that's what you're doing on the regular basis, you have to go. You have to go. Absolutely. <laughs> that's a we already look. got a lot going on. It's a lot going on. <laughs> I'm not about. What I'm to not take about to do stress. is just be arguing with you all the time because those kind of things really do kill your whole day. You yeah. and your boo get in an argument first thing in the morning, girl. Your whole day messed up. Oh no, whole day. Oh, no. Whole day. Messed up. And if I don't got anything, I need my peace. (laughs) Peace. Okay. Like I say all the time in a world where it's crazy and they require so much of you, the one thing that I'm taking back and reclaiming is my peace. And so if you disrupt that, you got to go. Like, (laughs) you got to go. We arguing all the time, all that. We fighting. No. 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 It's a no for me. Yeah, because so. I even see like lists, uh, not lists, but like, you know, there's always that viral Twitter moment where people talk about the craziest things they've done in relationships mm-hmm. as a result of arguing. Like, 
we saw recently that this one lady ran over her her ex like people really just be out here emotionally charged and doing things that make yeah. no sense to me i just yeah. have never felt the need to be that angry that i'm i'm being moved to do dumb shit like i think i'm still stuck off the girlfriend's episode we watched last night where tony um you know we know we all know what she did to greg she cheated on him with that doctor and got engaged. Tony is the only person that I know whose side nigga <laughs> will propose to her. Like what? Um, and so Greg later on comes back in her life, pretends like he's open to, you know, reconciliation just so he can, I guess, what, Toby, would you call it a revenge move? And sends her out to the store. Tony comes back to see Greg having sex with another woman mm. in her house, in on her, her living floor, room, in her living room. And I'm still stuck oh, from God. that because I was just like, if you Absolutely did, if you, not. if you are still hurt from her hurting you and you don't want to be with her, why even go through all of the drama of trying to act like you're going to reconcile right. just so you can get revenge? A part of being in love and this whole process is realizing that sometimes you got to collect your L and go. Life is a series of wins and losses. And you just have to realize that sometimes you you are on the the losing end of it. Like, you know. It's a shame. People should just be kinder to people, you know. But that's the thing. Like, you really just be kind to people and and be, be, have some integrity about how you moving because life is crazy you don't know how people are going to react to how you how you're treating them and the things that you're doing i don't play i i take people's feelings very seriously i don't i don't play about people's feelings i don't play about my own so don't play with people's feelings that's not cool because you never know how people are going to react you never know how people are going to respond to things like that especially when you're moving dirty and you know that you're moving dirty exactly so all in all like be open be flexible don't be an asshole and realize that it don't always look like what you want it to look. I think that's that. If I summarize this, that's what I would say. What would y'all say, ladies? Absolutely. <laughs> you got to listen. You got to roll with the punches sometimes. This love thing, mm-hmm. inviting somebody into your life and trying to make accommodations for that and making space for other people in your life is hard as it is. Mm-hmm. So you got to be, you got to have a little grace sometimes and also like stand your ground, but you got to have a little grace. <laughs> yeah. Have a, yeah. Have a little grace, stand your ground. And I mean, honestly, part of growing up, I think in this love thing is also realizing that most of the time it's probably not going to work out, but there are going to be times that it does. And mm-hmm. when it does, then you just kind of got to roll with that. Exactly. Like Queen Amy Winehouse taught us love is a losing game okay exactly the losing game but honestly i don't like the one time where i have my win that'll likely be the person i'm with my partner (laughs) you know what i mean like but be glad that you even have the opportunity to to try again to lose again probably yeah to love and to lose like i'm just thankful that that i'm still here to be a part of the game because there's so many people who can't say that you know Mm -hmm. like so just be glad that every day you have an opportunity to experience something new. And that's not even just about love. That's that goes back to just like the life you seek, the people you seek, the love you seek. Just be glad that you still in the game and you still have the opportunity to experience something new. 
mm-hmm. while you're here. And that's basically everything that I got on the subject. I just want y'all to be more intentional and to be open and realize that some of these lists that y'all come up with are ghetto. That's that's really what it boils down to. They, they, they're ghetto. <laughs> Stop asking people to be a Proverbs 31 woman also. That's just like my last caveat. Stop asking people to be that, bro. Like most of the time, y'all are not... <laughs> I'm gonna find I'm gonna find in the Bible the little um the opposite for men or not the opposite but the same verse for men for that because men use Proverbs 31 way too much. It's it's like a litmus test of worthiness. Like you know, you a Proverbs 31 woman. Like I feel almost feel like that average college (laughs) commercial. Like that's yelling at me about sitting on the couch when people bring (laughs) it. It it invokes that same feeling from me when people ask me about being a Proverbs 31 woman. And so I just want to say, like, no, I'm not. I'm Nika. I'm me. Like I, I, I don't know if I'm a Proverbs 31 woman. I'm me. I am crazy. I'm a Gemini. I'm spiritual. I'm sexual. And I, every day I'm trying to be a better person. And if that's not where you trying to align, then baby, I'm not for you. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. That's yep. all right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, thank you, Camille. I think this is a good no point problem. to like wrap up yes. um, our poor play. And we want to thank you for hopping on with us and chatting through these no necessary topics. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. So to end out this episode, for our sustainability shawty section this week, I'm going to just focus on personal sustainability. We've been saying it throughout the episode, throughout other episodes, but I really want you all to be able to take care of yourself. Um, So this week I'm really pushing DIY. We was watching Girlfriends the other night, and Joan was getting into her do-it-yourself bag, right? She was, like, making hangers. She was crafting shoe boxes. And so I really encourage y'all to look at the things around your house. I know y'all got a little bit of clutter unless you Marie kondo your life this summer. I know there's probably some clutter that you feel like you could just throw in the trash, but instead of throwing in the trash... Just try to see if you could, like, make a little project out of it. Um, It's really calming to be able to do arts and crafts if that's, you know, something that you're into. It's really easy to look on Pinterest and look up, like, different ways to reuse a pill bottle, like I said in another episode. Or different ways to reuse that plastic cup or plastic plate that you have just lying around. So just get into that a little bit. Do something for yourself. That's also another way to practice self-care. So with that being said, I just want to give us an affirmation. But before I do that, in true fashion, I just want us to um, inhale and then exhale. It's a lot happening right now, especially for black women. This has been a really rough week. And so my affirmation is directed to you, to us who are in the fight for equality and liberation and justice and peace. And I want you to know that you matter. 
I know that this week was tough and we got some news that was heartbreaking. And I want us to be okay with sitting in that, but I don't want you to feel shackled by it. It doesn't define you. And I want to remind you that you're worthy. And look, if the world don't care, just know that we care. And we we all we got and we got each other. And so this week's affirmation. I am free. Free from the bondage of corporate inconsideration, microaggressions, toxic body expectations, crippling family narratives, debilitating attachments, and despair from deferred dreams and aspirations. I will give myself permission to protest, to fight, and to resist. I will celebrate the lives of Black women as an act of resistance. I will prevail. Sis, everything that you need, you already got, I promise you. Let's stick to it. The fight continues. But before we continue our fight, I want you guys to rest. And we want to dedicate this episode to Brianna Taylor and to her family. Rest in power, queen. And to all my other queens and black women out there, I want you to know that we see you. We love you. We're with you. With that being said, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Emotionally Unavailable. You can find us on our socials, DM us, send us a voicemail. Just know that we are here with you and we love you. Bye, y'all. Bye.